Hey everybody, there are a ton of ways that you can follow us online. We've got our website, realnerdspodcast.com, that you can go to and you can read articles and find the podcast episodes there as well. If you like social media, you can follow us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us anytime and leave a voicemail at 720-6-NERDS-5 and then we'll play your voicemail on the show. Thanks for listening. I hope you like us. podcast unofficially the official podcast of whatever denver pop culture con is happening this year i am ryan and i am joined by a full house of nerds on zoom henry hello i'm here and i was lucky i saw henry for our screening of our film of the week and zach was there too i was hi brad was working i I wanted to be there (laughs) (laughs) and we're joined by Corinne. I wasn't even invited, so. Yeah, I'm sure you would have came to an IMAX showing of Mortal Kombat at 1030 at night. Corinne, Charles Dance wasn't in it, so we didn't think you were interested. (laughs) It would have been nice to see you guys, but yeah, you're probably right, Ryan. (laughs) Yep, I know I'm right, because uh, I asked you to see a movie with us. You're like, fuck that bullshit. I'm never paying for a fucking movie again. Not when I can stream it. I'm pretty sure those are your exact words. Definitely not. Sounds like what something you'd say. <laughs> and also, we're rejoined for the second time in two months by Jesse. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. I'm going to say that uh, I'm not paying to see movies, but just stream it more sounds like something I would say. <laughs> Yes. But anyways, yeah, this week we uh, we entered a tournament of epic proportions Test your might. in Mortal Kombat. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where we should tell you if you should see the film or not, play the trailer, and then spoil the film. Uh, we also talk about movie news, movies we've been watching, movies that are coming out on Blu-ray. Movies, movies, movies. Is that but all you like got? Start- this is like the biggest movie of, you know, of your life in years. And you're just like, we saw Mortal Kombat. Yay. Uh, well, I mean, no, I mean, my the biggest movies are Spider-Man's and stuff. So, um, but yes, it is very cool to see a Mortal Kombat film 25 years after the original. And um, there's been a lot of false starts between here and then. Yep, there has. They uh, had the web series. Um, they also had the animated film that came out last year, which is on my film explosion list. Will this one make it? Hmm, intrigue. It will test my might to see if it'll stay on my top ten list. Stay tuned for a year. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because I will choose my destiny if it's going to be on my list. This podcast has begun. I don't know how many other uh, Mortal Kombat things I do. We're about to get over this podcast. 
Um, Let's be sure we never finish it. Yeah, because I don't want this podcast to be a fatality of my fatality. life. Yes, or something. If we run out of moral combat, if we run out of moral combatisms, we'll just switch right into Pokemon. <laughs> Ryan, we are the, here for Mortal Combat, not your talking. I, I feel the cold <laughs> shoulder of Corinne's icy speaking. I don't know. <laughs> Corinne got the By the end of the show, the only here. one will be left standing. Friendship. Yeah, am I the chosen one? You suck. Um, let's see. Yep, that's what I got. Brad, take us around town because I know movie drive-ins are open. They are, but they're all kind of playing the same thing. Um, if you go to the Holiday Twin, they've got a double feature of Mortal Kombat and Godzilla vs. Kong on one screen. Sweet. And I know. I mean, I've seen both those movies, but I might just do it for the for the story. Uh, screen two has Tom and Jerry and Crude's a New Age. Sweet. <laughs> And the the uh, eighty eight, oh, did, yeah, the eighty eight drive-in has Tom and Jerry, Godzilla versus Kong, and the Unholy. So that's their forty forty fifth season under the stars kicks off with that. Nice, we'll and love that, it. And yeah, that's what's going around on around town. Cool. Movie news happens. And we unspool it on reels because we're real news and real nerds. Okay. Um, do we want to start off with the silliest news or do we want to start off with the uh, even more silly news? Silliest news. Okay. How would Raiden deliver the, the news? Uh, you have been chosen to represent Real nerds on real news. Be warned. Although this news might be silly, it is not the silliest. No, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, okay, that. Yeah, Ryan, but there would to... be more lightning involved. Yeah, you Ryan. know what's really uh, pathetic? That I basically quoted verbatim Raiden's intro in Mortal Kombat 4. Just saying. <laughs> or, no, it's Ultimate Mortal Kombat. Hey, hey, Ryan, that's why you're a real nerd. That was pathetic. Yes. Um,. Anyway, does anybody? Um, well, I think we're all in agreement here. We're not the world's biggest Vin Diesel fans. Um, uh, Speak for yourself. Uh, but I, we do he, like family. Yes, we like family. We like um, Corona. Corona beer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, most Corona. Like, I like Dave Helen Mirren. Yes, um, we can tolerate The Rock. When he, as long, so long as he's not within the same shot as us, so we're not on set. No, him. we love The Rock no matter what. See, I like The Rock, but for the purposes of the Vin Diesel joke here. Um, I anyway, got to save her, Captain. She looks like my sister. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, how Remember would you get shot in Saving Private Ryan, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> Fatality. Oh, shit. First to go. How many of you guys would like to see Vin Diesel? Produce a Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie, and how would you like to see him star in it? It's, it's called Real Steel. Didn't what? Hugh Jackman already make that movie? Yeah, Brian just mentioned it. it's called Real Steel. Um, yeah. but anyway, it doesn't matter because Vin Diesel didn't see Real Steel, so this is his original idea to do Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the uh, everybody who knows what Rock'em Sock'em Robot is, uh, let's see how they are able to stretch out a plot that isn't Real Steel, because again. 
real steel happen. So why, why, why are we doing this? You know what? I'm just going to stop asking questions at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done asking at this point. There's going to be a pile um, of robot parts on the table. He's going to be like, I want all that in here. And then, he, then he's going to say, this robot might be busted, but he's family. I mean, when it comes to... The robot is going, you know that blue robot? That's Red Robot's brother. <laughs> you say this as though this won't be actual lines from the film, but they most likely will be. So. When it comes to movies based on tabletop games, we have a spectrum of Battleship to Clue. So... And Jumanji. Uh, well, Jumanji is a fictional game, right? It, it was a movie about a game, but now the game came to you. Jumanji. Jumanji. Now, there is an That's actual Jumanji board game. Yeah, uh, but it was after the movie came out, Mr. Ryan, because it was a book first, a children's book first, then it became a movie, then it became a board game, hence that toy commercial in the 90s. Well, is it better than Clue? Nothing's better than Clue, Corinne, because you get, to solve a mis- you get to solve a mystery in Clue. In Rock'em Sock'em Robots, you watch two plastic things beat each other up. I want my Hungry Hungry Hippos movie, damn it. I mean, Jungle Cruise might fill your appetite for that. I don't know. Are there scenes with hippos in Jungle Cruise that we're aware of? I can't remember that trailer that well. I mean, there better be. They're in the ride. That is remember, true. Remember, you can see their ears twitch. Yep, that's true. And then the guy who's leading the boat go, makes a, snacky, a snarky comment and everybody laughs and then we keep going down the river. song called Skipper Dan that's about that. It's great. Mm-hmm. Nice. Deep cut, guys. Deep cut. <laughs> um, moving on, um, this is for the Office fans here in the uh, show, which I guess is all of us, but there are bigger fans here. Um, Peacock is adding the extended Superfan episodes for the first season. So maybe we'll start getting more of those down the line. I'm not cool. sure. How many of you guys stream Peacock? I don't. So it's almost as if I just need to pick up the DVDs and Blu-rays if I want to rewatch it. I do have the Blu-rays. But I guess because I have Xfinity, Peacock, I can stream for free. I don't know. I've never tried it. Maybe you give it a shot. Report back to us. See how it works for you. (laughs) I mean, I'll watch MacGruber when it comes out on Peacock. Yeah, you can make some uh, inventions out of household materials. MacGruber. Um and then uh, we're, we've got a couple of pieces of news that I need to turn over to our uh, foreign film expert, Henry Jarvis. Oh, oh, um, oh, oh, oh I'm yeah. <laughs> we've got that. We've got a report coming in from the uh, uh, from the Oscar now Oscar winner. Another round, the Thomas Vinterberg mm-hmm. film uh, looks like Leonardo DiCap- DiCaprio's Appian Way uh, endeavors will be uh, working to remake the film with him to star. Henry, I need your thoughts on this because I still haven't seen another round, but I believe you have. Yeah. Uh, who do you say was going to direct it? Uh, not direct it. It's just Leonardo DiCaprio's company gotcha. uh, is uh, putting it together for him to star, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, another round's great. I, I really liked it. Um, I'm skeptical about it being remade here because so much of it is about kind of drinking culture, specifically in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh I think how Americans view drinking culture is very different than how Europeans view drinking culture. And that's kind of explored in the film. Right. And so I can see Vinterberg almost choosing to direct it in English. If if he chooses to do that and kind of make it kind of exploring that kind of idea, I think that could be an interesting idea. However, but I don't think you could remake the story in America. And I don't need to, Leo's going to play like the main character. I don't think that would work Mm. Um, because the Mads Mikkelsen character is kind of like a sad kind of character 
yeah. almost like pitiful kind of character. And I don't see Leonardo DiCaprio being able to pull that kind of thing off. Uh, not just um, saying that if they if Leonardo DiCaprio and they try to go to it and making some kind of different story that's not the exact same thing, which if Leo's doing it, I imagine they're going to take it in a different direction. Yeah, but uh, I mean, but I don't know. I mean, it reminds does... me of Force Majeure and Downhill, and how Downhill kind of missed the point of the original film. And, and I, I can't like remember something very easily could happen with this film. And I can't remember the name of the film. It was one of the German entries. Is Tony Erdman. What Tony Erdman, yeah, it was supposed yeah. to be remade with Jack Nicholson and Kristen Wiig. That never panned out, but yeah, I don't know there's if that's still in that. or what, but yeah. I mean, Jack Nicholson's going undergoing health issues from what I understand, so I don't yeah. think that's ever happening. But um I mean DiCaprio does play a sort of sad sack in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it's certainly not the same type of sad sack that you're yeah. alluding to with Nicholson. Yeah. And I think if if you watched uh Vinterberg's uh acceptance speech at the Oscars for it, it like the film's a very personal film to him as a way for him to kind of grieve the death of his daughter. And so I feel like for another director to kind of take that story would be disingenuous. I just don't see that working out for them. And so. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I think they would just take that, uh, like that, um, you know, the exper- the, ex- the rules of that experiment and just Americanize yeah. it. Yeah. And, and I think, feel like that, I feel like that could be a fun comedy, but I feel like it would miss the actual heart and, kind of the idea of especially the ending of that film yeah gotcha i do need to check out another round so on hulu oh what was that it's on hulu Ooh, beautiful so is event horizon so i'll do a double feature (laughs) good combo Um, yeah (laughs) um let's move on to some trailers now before we get to the new release trailers we have henry in here so i do need to ask you henry hmm you are the resident Space Jam expert as well as our resident foreign film expert. Thank you. And I need the young response, the, the younger person's reaction to the Space Jam A New Legacy trailer. So, uh, I think Space Jam A New Legacy looks fun enough. I, my fear is that it, it, it looks to me, I mean, this is all speculation based on the trailer. Uh, it could come out that I'll, because like, I, I remember like my brother who's like 11, talked to me about it and he was very much like yeah i think it'd be better if they did this 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 and this we haven't seen it yet it could come out and it's going to be like absolutely incredible we don't know yet it could be exactly what he wants (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) i'm a little skeptical because i feel i have an inclination and a feeling that the film itself will be less a looney tunes movie and more of a warner brothers archive kind of movie uh and while i think that could still be fun i think to it if, if, if that is the case if you go into it looking for looking for a looney tunes type movie you might be disappointed uh however i think i i'm excited for it just because it looks like lebron james is one of the best acting athletes at the moment he knows how to have a good time on screen so i think he'll be entertaining enough and to be perfectly honest i mean listen space jam's a five-star film but let's not pretend that michael jordan was ever a great actor and so (laughs) like both of these films are going to have their flaws and i think uh if if this one comes out and like for the new generation, it's their Space Jam. I think that's great too. Yeah, uh, I think it'll be a fun time. But I think we it, people it, in their twenties, men in their twenties, are not going to like this movie. I feel, and I feel it's going to be unfair to the film. You but could say that I'm willing to give it a shot at least. And so they're they're going to like it because it's a new legacy, so it's their legacy to hold exactly. on to. They don't have to hold on to the notions of Space Jam past. They can look forward to Space Jam future. Yeah. Um, or they can be like me and watch the Looney Tunes cartoons on HBO Max, which are yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah, it also works too. Yeah, exactly. There's plenty of ways to enjoy the Looney Tunes. Um, anywho, 
now we'll move on to the new trailers that dropped. Got a trailer for West Side Story, which I haven't seen, but it, uh, it, it apparently looks like a musical from everything that I've read. So, um, I don't know. Thoughts? I mean, you really don't even get that from the trailer. It's like yeah. people okay, running around I'm, and I'm, jumping. I mean, I guess, you know, dancing could be concluded in musicals, but. Is Russ Tamblin in the movie? Crickets? Really? Crickets. Russ Tamblin? Are you, are you fucking serious? <laughs> Russ the Haunting Tamblin was in West Side Story before ah. The Haunting. He's worked with Wise. He worked with Wise a couple times. I just want Russ Tamblin in the movie. Is this, it's too much to ask. Um, nope. Okay, fine. Um, anywho, yeah. Look for West Side Story, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, or rewatch the original one before you go in and maybe decide you don't need to spend more money on a remake. I don't know. Fight. Whoa, what kind no. of attitude is that, Zach? I'm not opposed to remakes. I just, I'm just kind of curious why remake it now. But I don't know. Maybe had a story to tell. It I'm looks sure nice. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, you know what story? Yeah, I'm, weird, w- I'm sorry, Zach, I just used to have a weird like, like attitude towards a remake of a movie that was like 60 years old, and it does. I mean, they remake everything. Just unusual. Just unusual. <laughs> I've never seen you so down on a remake before. I just I will. I, I will. I, go ahead. I'll, I'll defend Zach, and I will say, while I'm open to Steven Spielberg's uh, West Side Story, I will say, for the first musical that Steven Spielberg makes, I kind of do wish with the power he had, he could just make an original musical. But at the same time, though, I, I trust Spielberg. He'll probably do something. Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 not, I'm not downing on it completely. I haven't seen the trailer, so I can't comment yet. I didn't have time to watch it. Today, I don't. So. Th- actually, I think it's he's always wanted to. Brad, I don't know if you know any better than I do. Yeah, I read but it. I'm, his, he, it's like this, you know, wish list thing that he's always wanted to yeah. do, make a musical, okay. and you know, he's almost like eight years old. I can't imagine him being like, "I'm going to invent something new." You That's know, true. I mean, yeah, I'm going to jump into my weakest like genre <laughs> and like reinvent the wheel. You know, I, it's like, I don't, what's to stop him from taking a musical that's already successful on the stage and just making a film adaptation that doesn't exist, like Hades Town? Like Hades Town is critically acclaimed, but there's no movie adaptation for it yet. No, I no, again, I think it's because it's a passion project for him. Yeah, I guess and because that. he's Steven Spielberg, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, it's and his favorite that's musical, what you wanted so, to do. I'm you know. sorry. I think he said it's his favorite musical, so... Okay, then there you go. Flawless victory. Well, when I'm 80 and I remake Space Jam, I I don't want to hear nothing from y'all. That's true. You know what? Fair enough. I will not do that then. And in a way, it leaves space for, like, new filmmakers to tackle, yeah, newer musicals. Yeah, you have a good point. And hopefully they cast actual Puerto Rican people this time. I think they did. I'm pretty sure that was, like, a big talking point. I mean, it's it's a big point for it, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Between, in which I mean, it is falling in line with a with a. It's going up head to head at this point within the heights. So, yeah. um, which have which can can draw illusions and comparisons. I'm. I need to rewatch West Side Story. I I mean, I'm not. It's like I'm not like a fanboy of it, but I like it. So, I'm curious to see what Spielberg will do with it. I'm more interested in the other project he's got going. That's apparently about his. I mean, it's supposed to be like loosely based on his father. Like that seems like a little bit more intriguing Spielberg for me. So, 
I mean, at the um, end of the day, Spielberg knows knows film and entertainment better than probably. Any oh, other oh yeah, he's still going to blow. Regardless still... of if whether gross or if it's relevant or necessary or whatever, I'm sure it'll still be a very entertaining movie. Oh so. yeah, you know, I wasn't I wasn't aware of the phenomenon, like really like in tune with the phenomenon of Ready Player One, but I saw the movie and I enjoyed it. So, you know, um, the other trailer we got. Ryan, you and I can talk about this because we we both saw the trailer at the. I guess Henry saw it too, so we can all talk about it. The Conjuring, the Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, we got a trailer for the new entry in the Warren Case Files. Um, it, uh, I don't know, like it. I'm 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 on board because I'm still on board with this series. Um, it felt a little bit more big than the first two. Like it feels like it's that's, on, if... that's on purpose. There's an interview because James Wan wrote it mm-hmm. and produced it. Um, he did that on purpose. Really? Can you yeah. extrapolate on that a little bit? Uh, he just, the other two were haunted house films and he decided that he wanted to take it out of the haunted house realm and go to this true story about a dude who murdered his landlord and claimed that he was possessed by a demon that made him do it. Right. So, um, yeah, that's what he, he just wanted to take it out of the haunted house realm because that's pretty cool. I mean, even most of the conjuring universe stuff is a haunted house film. Yeah. Even the nun is a haunted convict. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I still haven't seen La Llorona yet though, but I'm assuming okay. that's yeah, takes place in a house though. Right. Or outside of a house too, Ryan. I don't know. Uh, Does it? Both. <laughs> okay, cool. So it went in and out. Gotcha. Uh, is this one uh, the devil made me do it? Is that supposed to be like the final one of the trilogy? Because that's kind of like the vibe I'm getting it, from it. It, I think so. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it definitely feels like it's the last one. Mm-hmm. But you never say you can never say that yeah. if it makes a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a horror film. You can never count it out. Um. But you're all gonna find out if this is the end of the Warren case files. Uh. On June fourth, twenty twenty one, in theaters and on HBO Max. So um, I'm still hooked on it. It makes me want to go back and rewatch the first Conjuring and get lost in that world again. Um, And then let's see here. Uh, Ryan, some stuff for you. Uh, It looks like Disney and Sony are going to strike a licensing deal that will get Spider-Man movies on Disney plus. There you go. Now you can have access to it. If you are on the go and don't have access to your Blu-ray player immediately. You will have it there. Uh, yeah, the only um, caveat to that is they will debut first on Netflix, and it's like nine months later they'll be on Disney Plus. Gotcha. All right, well. Zach. I think you're confused. Ryan takes his Spider-Man films with him everywhere he goes. Oh, I that forgot he has like well, he has 15 copies of Spider-Man movies. He has 100 copies of the Evil Dead movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's only a slight exaggeration. I do own every version of spider-man and spider-man 2 i don't think i'm sure spider-man 3 came out on dvd but i never got it on dvd i know Um, you're missing one version because you gave me a copy of everything so (laughs) true yep so i've got one of your copies of spider-man 3 with the actually i believe the one you gave me has the editor's cut of it um yeah possibly (laughs) yeah um and then let's see here um, here's a remake piece of news that I actually find intriguing as all heck. Uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, um, Tennessee Williams play, turned into a movie with Elizabeth Taylor. It Boo. looks like it's getting a wow. 
<laughs> the movie's so freaking boring. Fight <gasps> not. <laughs> what do you mean? I said it. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll, we could get to what you find boring the in the last piece of news. Don't worry. <laughs> It looks like director Antoine Fuqua is uh, eyeing a chance to remake this, which I find interesting because is it going to be like Training Day meets Tennessee Williams? (laughs) That could be be interesting. He's a good director. Yeah, he is. He is. It's just he's been mainly sticking into the action realm for the most part for the last couple of films. Sweet. Make Um, it an action film. I mean, yeah, I want to see an actual cat on a hot tin roof. Henry, go with it. Go with it. I mean, listen, I, if they turn on a hot tin roof into like a hard action film with Denzel Washington, this sounds awesome. So I'm very into it. But like, Just six days, seven movie. nights. As long as it's like the Jean Claude Van Damme version of uh, Tom Sawyer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jesse, right, we need to get you in the pitch room. One too. As long as someone says, get that gold over here. Hey, if Steven Spielberg can direct a musical, we can have a hard action version of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, I'm approaching this the exact same way as uh, West Side Story. Is it necessary? No, but I'm sure it'll be entertaining. So, yeah. And like, and as, as was stated, Fuqua's a good director. He can make a fun film. Let's see where this goes. Um, See, there's my positivity, Ryan. It came back. All uh, right, good. Here's here's a here's a question because I'm I'm Thor ignorant, um, comic wise. Russell Crowe is going to be playing Zeus in Thor. What does Zeus do in the Thor universe? Because I thought we had Odin. What's up? Like he's Whoa. another god. Okay, yeah. like all of, all of the gods, the pantheon of gods, exist within the Marvel universe. Okay, cool. Right on. Outstanding. All right, sweet. Well, anyway, yeah, Russell Crowe coming back to comic book land, everybody. Enjoy it. Um, you better write in on a tugboat or I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck around a, the world. Is that a 20-year-old South Park joke? It can't be 20 years old yet. I think it's like, what, eight? It, it's close, though. Because that was, what, 2003 when he had the phone thing that happened? I don't know. I don't remember. Huh. That, right into uh, the Real Nerds podcast. Tell us what happened to Russell Crowe back in the early 2000s. <laughs> what was that? What was that, Brad? I was looking it up. It's season six, episode four. Pretty close. 17 years. Dang. We're on our way, gentlemen. Anywho, the last piece of news was one that um, people decided to bring up to me on Facebook. So it's going to address it right here. Citizen Kane is no longer 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And everybody seemed to think I'd have a heart attack about this. <laughs> Never should have been 100% to begin with. That's fair, because not every movie can be perfect, except for Casablanca, which I found out is also at 99%. And I, the review that put it down there is from 2004. So somebody was an asshole 15 years ago. Do you want um, to tell you a movie that will surprise you that's 100%? Not Paddington 2. We know that's a classic that needs to be 100%. No, I'm talking about The Terminator. True story. Not even Terminator 2? Just The Terminator? Yeah. The Terminator. There's, there's, I was reading the article because it's interesting on uh, Hollywood Reporter mm-hmm. uh, that there's 40 movies that are at 100%. And they mentioned Paddington 2 and The Terminator. And they. <laughs> um, Same movie. The, the, yeah, the reason they knocked down 
Citizen Kane is they found an 81 year old like review of it from the Chicago Tribune. Um, yep. It, um, which <laughs> Ryan, my first reaction was to go and look up and be like, did Hearst own the Chicago Tribune? <laughs> Um, but I, I pointed out in um, my response to it was that you're probably going to, if they keep digging up old interviews which or reviews, which is cool, like I'm glad they are doing that because then it applies a, a proper metric if you're going to keep going with the metric. Um, but you're going to see, if, if they do it for other movies too, you're going to see much more division in there because the rating will drip, dip down, not drastically, but... Citizen Kane wasn't like universally praised partially because like not everybody was on the same bandwagon, but also an entire newspaper chain was against this movie. So, um, uh, but yeah, no, I, although Hearst probably told them not even to mention or review or publish any articles about Citizen Kane, if I'm recalling correctly. So they, Hearst, Hearst articles might not even come into factor. Um, well, but again, I mean- it's not. I, I I like the movie. It's not the best movie in the world. I like the movie a lot, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's always one of those movies. To me, has always been overrated. Um, Corinne mentioned The Godfather. I agree. Um, the Shining is one for me as well. Um, trying to think of another one. And it's cool that I mean, art uh, is an interpretive medium. Yeah. I mean, movies are interpretive art. So, what some persons. Gone with the wind is another person's gone with the wind. So, um, you mentioned it phrase, twice. Right? Why? <laughs> because some people hold gone with the wind in high regard, and other people think gone with the wind is a bloated, racist piece of crap. So, yep, I'm um, in the latter camp. I just thought I, I thought you were trying to compare one to the other. Never mind. I'm I am I'm comparing two people's opinion of the oh, same okay, movie. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I see. Catch yeah. up to me, Zach. You'll get there. Okay, that's fine. What's funny is is that the Uproxx version of this uh, news story broke out in a way that Henry would appreciate is that Citizen Kane lost its perfect score on Rotten Tomatoes, making Paddington 2 the new greatest film of all time. <laughs> Which I can appreciate, and I stand by. Henry, I just hope that we have a Mank equivalent film made about Paddington 2. <laughs> and so... That gets everything wrong about the making of Paddington yeah. 2. <laughs> I can tell you that I would much rather watch Paddington 2 than Citizen Kane. Hands That's down. Fair. That's fair. He teaches he teaches prisoners how to be upright citizens. He fights Hugh Grant on top of a train train, and he likes marmalade. It's like it's the kind three... of the flawless, the most flawless film ever made. And I think I, most critics would agree with me. Oh, I know. I mean, I, you could you you can't find a cynical critic in that bunch. They they all come together in favor of Paddington, and they're but even they are not powerful enough to get Paddington three fast tracked the way it should be fast tracked, which makes the world a cruel and unusual place to live in. As we all know. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's an interesting piece. The biggest expose on this news for me is, is that I didn't realize rotten tomatoes was doing an archiving project for critical reviews of the past, which is really cool because then now we can start looking at those critiques from the past and finding out what people objected to in certain elements of the film from the critical standpoint, because those aren't always available unless you have an account to the New York times, Los Angeles times or variety archives, whatever, like you now there could be better access to this possibly. We'll see, but that's news unless I missed anything. Oh, wait, I did miss one thing guys. I'm sorry. 
the Academy Awards happened. Uh, no, and... no, you you missed Sean Clive Van Damme's new show, and that's it. What? <laughs> no, you missed the announcement that they're, we're going to get a Downton Abbey two. You guys, they're going to start production this summer, and it's going to be released this Christmas. Is it yeah. down get to Abbey? It is not. Nope. Just down Abbey two. It should be down to Abbey. <laughs> that was pathetic. Well, go take it up with Julian Fellows, Zach. <laughs> okay, I will. Get me on a plane, guys. <laughs> Knock on his door. Who are you? Uh, I say, who are you? Hey, Brad, share your uh, story about Jean-Claude Van Damme's new show. Uh, the Last Mercenary? I, it might even be a movie. They haven't done a trailer yet. Like They have a trailer, but it's just him doing the splits on top of the Netflix logo. Oh, hell yeah. Um, but it looks like he's... Uh, is he going to fight Netflix? <laughs> I don't know. I, the only thing I've seen is a, is a production still of him and then like a group of, I, I assume, other mercenaries that look like an eclectic bunch. So uh, I'm just excited because it looks like something close to Jean-Claude Van Johnson will be coming back. And hmm. uh, I love it when Van Damme does comedy. He's really good at it. Sweet. Agreed. Right on. All right. And maybe he'll get an Oscar for it. Speaking of the Oscars. <laughs> no. <laughs> you had to, what have I done? You had to bring it up. Um, yeah. Uh, I did not watch the ceremonies for the first time in years. So, Ryan, you'll have to tell me. How, how painful was it? It was painful. It was just boring. Am I the only one who watched it? Brutality. It was just, it just, Mary, it just felt like everything was blah, right? Yeah, it felt very, it, I mean, even for me, I watch the Oscars every year, and I'm a fanboy of the Oscars for no particular reason. It should be a fun show. That's why I yeah. like it. It's movie yeah, Super I mean, Bowl. <laughs> I liked aspects of the whole, it being more intimate, and I'm just kind of hanging out. I did like that aspect for it, but it just what it just didn't, especially towards the end, it fell apart. So Yeah, but also, too, I didn't understand how they could cheer for some things, they couldn't cheer for other things, Yeah, and it was just really bizarre. Yeah. And and I'm not. I mean, I don't care about the more intimate setting. I mean, it it looked nice. Yeah. But it's just it was just everything was boring. And then they try to play the odds that Chadwick Chadwick Boseman was going to win the best actor, and it just ended with a thud where Joaquin Phoenix is saying, "Well, I was going to say this, but now I'm just going to tell you the nominees." Like I don't think. Yeah, he just read their names, and then he said, "Oh, Anthony Hopkins won. He's not here, so the Academy will accept the award." And then the show fucking ended. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But also, wow. like, brutal. It's, it's not like they can do a, a big pageantry show because of COVID. So, you know. No, I understand that. But, like, they didn't show clips. They, they really didn't celebrate movies at all. Yeah. It was just this really weird, boring. It was like a hit even, it and quit it. Not even that, because it still went for like three hours. Yeah. And so. The speeches were weird. Like Francis McDermott was really weird. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what was going on. It's everybody's had a hard year. I don't know. Maybe. No, I'm not making. Ex- don't make excuses for him. It's just weird. Well, I haven't seen it. So I can't comment. <laughs> um, I um, Harrison Ford was, reading was, Blade Runner reviews was great. Oh yeah, that <laughs> was like that's what? Fine. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, he's talking about editing, which was cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. because. Harrison Ford is like the grumpy old dude everywhere, and he's awesome for it. 
Um, um, it was nice to see um, uh, supporting actress go to Minari and uh, seeing Kaluuya get an Oscar for um, Judas. Um, it was nice to see those two win. Uh, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, even though I'm, it's not my particularly favorite movie that you'll able to see her get an Oscar. So, um, I mean, yeah, I... I don't know why I didn't tune into the ceremonies, but I did see things unfolding on social media. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, this is, <laughs> this is bad guys. <laughs> um, and yeah, the Bozeman, uh, the best actor thing was particularly taking me aback, which I guess I need to see the father now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's fine. If he doesn't Chadwick Bozeman doesn't win, I understand that. Oh yeah. But the gamble people... on doing it at the end. Yeah. Is, it was just strange. I even yeah. told, when it was going, because I had to put Kellen to bed, I thought I missed the best actor and actress. And so I came out and I, Laura was here. I said, Laura, did they already say the best actor and actresses? And she said, no. So why the <laughs> hell are they putting the, the crowning achievement for patting themselves on the back uh, is not the final thing? I don't get it. It's, it's, <laughs> is this worse than the, than the La La Land snafu? <laughs> no, that was entertaining. <laughs> And also, as, a, as the President Moonlight fan, no, it's not worse. <laughs> but uh, I will say, in defense for the Oscars, one thing I did read is that the whole doing the best picture not last and having uh, uh, the best actor being last was a last-minute decision because Joaquin Phoenix was late. Uh, and so mm. they had to push it. Uh, that's why I, I don't know if that's true. That's just what I read. But that's the excuse that I've seen. And so It could be, too, because Joaquin Phoenix didn't seem like he gave two rats asses about being up there yeah yeah normal joaquin phoenix <laughs> yeah oh oh classic joaquin <laughs> no i'm a pretentious actor but when i get awards they don't mean anything when i get i'm a pretentious actor but when i get my award for my comic book movie then i don't care anymore <laughs> so... yeah these awards don't matter and i'm tired of pretending it's not <laughs> oh, <laughs> that they do <laughs> there you go right there you go Brad. <laughs> You just hear Bobby De Niro going like, are you saying you don't care about these awards? I do. And I'm tired of pretending that I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway. Well, look forward to Oscars 2022 when Spider-Man No Way Home wins. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's when Hollywood implodes. (laughs) Not even people to watch the Oscars. They better start picking movies like that. But they didn't not even not even trying to retroactively reward the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. We're going to give it to the the umpteenth Spider-Man movie in existence. <laughs> Although oh, this give, one, like, this lifetime one, achievement award, Sam Raimi, cool. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Can can hey Ryan can can Doctor is Doctor Strange coming out this year or next year? Next year. Okay, Oscars twenty twenty two. We give it to Sam Raimi for best director and Doctor Strange for best picture. That's how you do this proper. Yeah, um, yeah. That's my that's my bold declaration for the night. That's news, guys. These movies are coming out on Blu-ray. Woo! Uh, would you all like to watch one of the greatest westerns of all time in 4K? Well, you can when you get the good, bad, and the ugly on 4K. Um, is is coming from uh, Kino Lorber. So they're extending off of their Blu-ray releases that they did for Clint Eastwood's Westerns along with a shit ton of other Clint Eastwood films. Uh, so yeah, if you want uh, Sergio Leone's The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, pick it up there. Um, it's a good one. You can also get Donnie Darko in 4K. Um, 
still just okay. <laughs> I don't know if I don't have a copy of Donnie Darko on my shelf right now, so maybe I don't. I mean, know. it's from Arrow, right? I mean, Arrow does really. Yeah, good. yeah, oh, yeah, it Arrow's, is. Arrow's but, releases are awesome. I have a pal who said that he was just he just ultimately like canceled his pre order on it because he's just like I can't do it. I, I've already got a copy on the shelf, and I'm like, eh, I guess since I don't have one. Might as well be the time. No, I would have bought it, but it's I, I literally bought the Arrow Blu-ray of uh, Dying Darko like a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> and they look, probably did a 4K restoration on that anyways. Yeah. So probably looks gonna, pretty great. It's still going to look good. Just like Dirty Dancing in 4K is going to look good. Well, you can have you know, and I will say life. too, Arrow lately on their big releases will do that. Because I got the Tremors 4K, but then they released the standard uh, just Blu-ray at, you know, like $15, $20 cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's what you want, and they have the same bonus features because I did that for Flash Gordon because um, I just got the standard edition instead of their like ultra deluxe one. Gotcha. All right. Well, at any rate, if you want Donnie Darko, you can pick it up in 4K. Like I said, you can also pick up Dirty Dancing in 4K. Um, you can, from Order Archives, pick up the third in the Thin Man series, another Thin Man. Uh, this is the one where. Nick and Nora have a child, and things go awry. I thought they had a playlist. <laughs> I, li- I like that reference, Ryan. Thank you. I'm on fire with like old fucking references. You know what, Ryan? <laughs> that Nick and Nora didn't have an adorable dog that helped them solve the mysteries. That's why True. they're. It's fine. His name's Skippy. He has a name. <laughs> That's the actor's name. Asta exactly. is his character, and I'm, if I'm going by the 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 Thin Man cinematic universe, <laughs> I refer to him as Asta. Um, if you want Best Picture winner Nomad Land, you can pick that up on Blu-ray. Uh, good. Okay. Hey, how about this, Ryan? Do you want Each Dawn I Die from Warner Archive Blu-ray with James Cagney and George Raft? A wonderful uh, I, movie. From I've the never era. seen it, but I love the title. It's fun. If you uh, need convincing, I can loan you the DVD copy, which still has a good transfer on it. Or you can take yeah. a gamble. Uh, it's it's a good movie. Nope. I think you'll like it. I'll borrow the DVD. <laughs> okay, cool. I will. Not the biggest James Cagney fan. He never said this, but you dirty rat. Um, anywho, The Time Travelers from 1964 from Scorpion releasing. Um, looks like. I don't know if it's this. I don't know what this is, has to do about time travel. It looks like a mummy who's in to, who's in front of a huge space needle thing, running after people who look like they're popping in and out of a computer. I don't know. Sweet. The time travelers. Good job. That mummy is getting into the digital age. Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. Um, anywho, uh, a movie called Deep Blood from 1990 coming out from Severin. Uh, there's no synopsis for this film. Does anybody know what the hell Deep Blood is? It's got a big uh, shark on the cover. A pool of blood that someone drowns in. In a world where blood is just thinly laid across concrete. One now there's shark. blood that is deep. <laughs> I don't know. One shark dares to make it deep blood. I don't know. I do love the concept of a horror from about a puddle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. A it's a prequel to The Blob. <laughs> oh, blood! <laughs> um, and then you can also get the uh, George Siegel, Jane Fonda, 1977 version of Fun with Dick and Jane, uh, coming out to you on Blu-ray. Um, and 
I I thought this already came out. Elvira, Mistress, Mistress of Darkness, coming out from Arrow, but is so is this like a different version of it, it's, Ryan? Yeah, uh, their steel book of it. Hey, okay, okay. Gotcha, I think gotcha, Shout gotcha. came out with theirs, and like, like I see Shout and Arrow releasing the same stuff, but like months apart from each other. They do because Arrow is, uh, but oh, let me educate some people. Arrow is a UK company, <gasps> so um, some of their um, product is released in U- the UK first, and they share uh, special features with Scream Factory. Yep, that's how they handled one of the Candyman releases, I believe. Yeah, um, um, and then Ryan, you'll love this news because you already posted about it. But Dead Man on Campus is getting a Blu-ray. Hell release. yeah! You you talked about that film and how it may or may not hold up today. I don't know, like because the premise is pretty dark. I've never seen the movie, but uh, so for people who don't know, Dead Man on Campus is about a story of two college guys who get bad grades and then they try to find a suicidal dude on campus that'll kill himself, so they get automatic A's, um, and then they meet all these quacky characters like a British guy and um, like a dude who drinks so much that he's gonna have to die. Um, it's so stupid. So whatever the fuck that means. I know, like, uh, my friend Brandon and I loved it. It I think it came out in '98, so just before we were seniors in high school, we used to watch it all the time. And um, the dude in it, who's like the party guy, uh, when they're interviewing potential roommates, <laughs> he says stuff like, uh, "You guys ever get so horny like you want to fuck a lamp?" <laughs> it's just so stupid. Um. And then the British guy is uh, really depressed, but then you find out he's not depressed. He's not even British, but he's like a theater major who's playing a depressed guy being British. It's awesome. <laughs> and and does not hold up. No, it's very not PC, but it's okay. fun. <laughs> gotcha. I'll have to check it out. You um, should. I'll let you borrow it. <laughs> okay, cool. What did and you say, Jesse? Oh, it's a, it's a line from the movie where the guy's like, because it says, yeah, they charged me with vehicular manslaughter or whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> That's the party guy. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they go drinking and driving and they get in a car accident and the dude lives. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I know I know exactly what movie you're talking about. It's, it's great. It's a classic. But yeah. It is. But yeah, um, like even the British guy, like you have to be really old because they ask if he's okay and he says, who the fuck are you? Fucking cut Loda. Because he's the MTV news guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's great. Sweet. And that's Blu-rays, guys. Flawless victory. We watch stuff throughout the week in a segment we call the longest segment of tonight, what we've been watching. <laughs> Jesse, kick us off. What you've been watching? Uh you know, not I don't watch a whole lot of TV these days. Uh, I just finished up uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And it, nice. uh, it ended about how I think we all expected it was going to end. And then I've really been loving uh, Invincible on uh, Amazon Prime Video. Uh, yeah, I never a- read the comic book, so it's all new to me, but I'm I'm really digging it. Yeah, I think, is it, uh, episode six is the new one? Seven. Seven? I, yeah, whatever one I just watched, I might be a week behind, is the first time it deviated from the comic. So... Uh, the comics the, we need to have a talk episode. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know if I want to spoil it, but um, yeah, it's, it's a really fun show. It's well done. 
yeah, I'm I'm digging it. Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, he's been in the comic for years, and so he was really excited when they were making a, a series. And I'd I'd never read the comic, but I'm I'm really liking it so far. So I, I hope they don't screw it up. I think last week I mentioned it's one of the number ones I have that's worth a lot of money now that I never thought would be worth lots of money. Yeah, it's it's because it's like. Um, it's Kirkman, right? Like the same guy who did Walking yeah, Dead. Yeah, like and all those, all those old Walking Dead like comics are worth a, a bunch of money too. So and I it's mean, really he, funny. He I got stuff. it kind of on. Not, I don't know. If accents the right word, but there was a Marvel team up where Spider Man teamed up with Invincible that Kirkman wrote, and it was really fun. I'm like, oh, I want to read this. And the comic shop I went to had one number one for like fifteen bucks. I don't know. This was 14 years ago. Long yeah, time so ago. You were probably like 15 bucks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Andrew said, no, man, you should get it. It's really good. I promise. All right. So then I ended up putting it on my poll and I think I got the first 50 issues or so, 55 issues, something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. I mean, I've been really impressed with the show so far because it's, um, you know, it, it's, I'm liking a lot of these shows that are coming out right now, kind of like the boys and stuff like that, where it's, you know, different views of superheroes. But I feel like a lot of them are very much like, this is a really dark view of superheroes. Yeah. So I like Invincible isn't as dark as like the boys. It's more just like, hey, you know, I want to create like the DC slash Marvel universe, but I can't use any of the characters. So I'm just going to kind of make up my own. So it, yeah, it's a really refreshing, you know, version of like, Hey, these are all new characters. This is an all new storyline. It's kind of one of those, like anytime anyone's like, Oh, you know, there's no new ideas out there. Um, you know, they're wrong. Cause obviously this, this show is, and the comic book is showing that, you can create original stuff and, and it can still be great. It's all about storytelling. Agreed. So that's all for me. Corinne? So I've been continuing my Justice League, Justice League Unlimited rewatch. I've got five episodes left of Justice League Unlimited. It's pretty much the greatest comic book TV show ever made. So, you know, suck it, everybody else. Um, I mean, it's like, still Batman the animated series but sure flawless yeah i mean i love batman the animated series but this has like all the superheroes and especially in unlimited when you start to get into the like the weeds of superheroes like hawk and dove and vigilante and shiny knight and all these random fucks that you never knew about before but all of a sudden you're like okay they're kind of cool all right yeah cool whatever um so anyway great show it's on hbo max if anybody wants to check it out then I watched, instead of the Oscars, watched Batman Begins with some friends. And I haven't seen that movie in a long time. And it's a lot better than I remember. But man, that third act is like, ugh, seems to go on so long. And it's like the first act is like perfect. And the second act is like almost perfect. And then the third act is like some brouhaha about stopping a train and vaporized water. Did we ever find sure. out? why um that water vaporizer just didn't make people explode 
Yeah, you know. I, I said the same thing. I'm like, wow, it's so powerful that it can vaporize water that's a mile away, but apparently humans are unaffected. All right, sure. Yeah, no, I, they do. I'll tell you how science. Science. <laughs> nice. I mean, it's kind of crazy because everything else about like the Batman um, origin is so grounded in reality of you it's like so meticulous and showing you like okay he gets the the batmobile because it's like this experimental thing that they made for the for the military and they have this special material that he can use for the for the glider and stuff and i mean yeah you stretch a little bit but it's like it's experimental r&d bullshit for the military so yeah you know who knows you could have a three hundred thousand dollar you know, knife proofs, knife proof suit. But anyway, Batman Begins is pretty awesome. And uh, I mean, I think the Dark Knight overshadows it and understandably so, but it's still a really good movie. So anyway, and then the last what was thing. Your, uh, mm-hmm. I have to ask, what was your favorite episode of um, Justice League Unlimited? The like four part Cadmus arc is pretty much perfect minus the whole like Brainiac revives out of nowhere, but it was kind of see cool to see him and Luthor team up. And then the fallout from that in season three where Luthor's like crazy and he wants to revive Brainiac, but yeah, there too many good episodes to pick one, but I do like the, the four part Cadmus arc at the end of season two where it's so many great ethical questions come up of like, you know, does the Justice League have too much power? And, you know, are they doing more harm than good? And, should, you know, when should the government kind of step in and keep them in check? So it's like, oh, all the things you would love to see in a live action movie, but they're too busy dealing with stupid Joss Whedon bullshit. When will they sign the Sok- Sokovia Accords? <laughs> Yeah, but see, Justice League Unlimited did it first, Brad. You just said live action movie. I'm just saying they did it. <laughs> yeah, I meant in a DC movie. I wanted a Justice League movie that basically does, in its own way, the Cadmus arc. Is that too much to ask? Anyway. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, right, Jesse? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love the series. It's yeah, your favorite uh... episode. Uh, I've got like a few really good ones. Um, one, one of them is, I think it's called like the once and, and future thing, but it's the, uh-huh. um, it's the episode where it's Would basically the final, uh, the, maybe I'm thinking of the different wrong title. I was thinking of the episode that's basically the end of Batman beyond where they explain that Terry oh. McGinnis. Yeah. You're thinking of the actually, epilogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. Where you get where because it kind of wraps up Batman Beyond, which was a great series that just ended. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the one where with Booster Gold, where you know once again Booster Gold saves the day, but no one can ever know. Right, the greatest story never told, which is yeah, a exactly. pretty fun episode. It is, and it's it's real true to the comics. But I especially love uh, the the one Batman line where he's like, "We don't need two stretchy guys." <laughs> I don't know why, but when he says that in the episode, it just really, I thought it was really funny. And then, um, I can't remember, all, I think it's the episode with, uh, 
I don't remember the specifics, but it's the one where Batman has to, f- he flies in front of the nuclear warhead to save Superman. And at the end of the episode, you know, Superman's very chummy and he's like, oh, that was really good. Batman's just kind of like, hey, like you, you know, like I took a bullet for you, but they're not wrong. Like, I think it might have been part of that Cadmus thing, but he's like, yeah, we're, that's we're, we need to be in two. check, you know, like we're mm-hmm. kind of out of control. So, yeah, that's uh, Doomsday again, Sanction. That was, it's at yes, the beginning yes, of season two. Sanction. Yep. Okay. Is I was going to say, I thought it was the one up. where he was fighting Doomsday in the volcano, but that has to be one of the best written things. episodes in the whole the whole series because it's amazing how much they pack into like twenty two minutes. Because you you start off with Batman breaking into Amanda Waller's house, and then you end on this like amazing ethical question of, yeah, does the Justice League have too much power? And exactly. just like building that up over the rest of season two until you cap it off with the Cadmus arc at the very end. God, this yep. show is so amazing. Everybody, please go watch Justice League Unlimited, at least, if you don't watch the original Justice League show. But Justice League Unlimited was just a continuation of Justice League, but you would be fine if you didn't watch the first one. It's okay. So then the last thing I watched right before we uh, started recording is I watched the pilot of the new Netflix show shadow and bone. And it's pretty cool. I'm going to definitely check out the rest of the episodes. It's a, I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of got like a, I've seen some stuff about like the author and how she took inspiration from avatar, the last airbender. And I definitely see some of those elements of, you know, there are people who have magic and they can like control the elements and things like that. But there's also just, like, a lot of political intrigue um, that's kind of introduced already. And it's, like, kind of a heist storyline because there's this person who has, you know, this power that everybody wants. And people all across the world are trying to get to this person and, like, take them for themselves. And I kind of like the aesthetic. It's set in this, like pseudo Russian kind of thing where everybody wears like the fur hats and the writing looks like Cyrillic alphabet sort of it's it's kind of neat so I don't know I'd recommend people check it out Shadow and Bone on Netflix I don't know did anybody else watch it no I've heard good things though yeah so that's all I've been watching has anyone seen The Nevers that new Joss Whedon series that just started on HBO Mm mm-mm I watched like the first two episodes. It seems interesting, but I won't, I won't lie. It comes on late Sunday night. And after like an entire weekend between my wife and daughter, I'm usually a little drunk by the time it comes on. So I don't <laughs> remember it. I don't remember it a hundred percent, but it seemed like classic, you know, weed and stuff that, you know, it's interesting. Right on. Yeah. He bought me to check it out too. But yeah, I'm the same way. I work all week. I'm like, eh, I don't drink, but sometimes <laughs> doing nothing is fun. <laughs> Anywho, Henry, what'd you watch? Uh, well, I picked up the Steel Book of District Nine from uh, Best nice. Buy. Uh, that movie's still phenomenal, and it looks great in 4K. Uh, but so I watched that, and then the only other thing I thought I'd mention that I thought would be fun is uh, I watched a film called The Legend of the Stardust Brothers, uh, which the story of how the film was made is almost a little bit more fun than the film itself. 
Uh, it's a 1980s uh, musical from Japan. And <laughs> they just kind of found the, they just found it again because it's been lost for like a long time. But the story of how it was made is that the director was like the son of like a, like a major uh, uh, like recording studio in Japan. And he was going to film school. And for his like senior film, uh, someone else in the music industry went to him and was like, hey, I have this like conceptual album for like a musical that doesn't exist. Would you be willing to like make it your thesis film? And he was like, yeah, sure. And so it's basically this like super rich kid who like for his thesis film just hired a whole bunch of pop stars to be in his movie. That's like the most absurd and over the top musical you will ever see that blends genres. Like you get like one song will be like just a fun pop song. And the next one will be like a metal song. And like It kind of bounces around. Like it's clearly like a film made by like a film student, but in like the best way possible. It's it just the like complete nonsense, but it's a fun watch regardless. Uh, it, it, they just released a Blu-ray of it. I, from arrow, I think. Uh, that I recommend. Uh, they you can also get the vinyl from Arrow as well. Uh, but if you don't want to get the Blu-ray, it's currently streaming on Mubi. Uh, so if you're like me and keep forgetting to cancel Mubi, that is something that I would recommend watching. <laughs> so, but uh, other than that, I didn't, I didn't watch much. I rewatched some of the Oscar films uh, before uh, they came on, and then Zach and I watched uh, In the Earth. But I'll I'll wait for him to come up for uh, with Rick Lee to talk about that more further. So. So you can always just transition right into it, Henry. You and Zach watched Into the Earth. Tell us about it. We did, Zach. I didn't like it really all that much, but I think uh, there were some good parts to it. Anything uh, you want to talk about? Yeah, I I didn't really like it much either, but I I was intrigued by certain elements of it, and there were two scare scenes that I enjoyed. Um, I'm 0 for 2 on Ben Wheatley right now um, (laughs) because I, I don't, I don't discourage people from watching Rebecca, but I don't like his Rebecca by comparison to the other one that (laughs) I've talked about too much to count. Um, But um, I mean, first of all, I was unaware that he had been apparently making this movie within COVID within COVID land. So uh, once I started settling into like, okay, clearly I, I, I started picking up on it eventually, but like, because like it's kind of unclear <laughs> when this is supposed to be, um, unless you start like the ma- they're they're wearing masks at the beginning, but they're also talking about decontaminating uh, to not let anything into the forest or something. So I don't know. I, I, I it wasn't clear to me. So maybe well, I'm stupid. I think it's unrelated to COVID. I think it's just there's another virus that's infected the entire planet that's not COVID. Right. And it's, yeah. It's a weird time to release that storyline. And, and, and also, it, but also the film is kind of unclear at the beginning what its goals are. It's not yeah. until we get to a certain point with another individual in the woods where everything starts becoming a little more clear and then it becomes more clear. So like my, my issue with the film ultimately is, is that it, it, it tries to, it, it tries to keep you too much in mystery and it, it, I don't feel it gives you enough to latch onto. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I I don't know. Like it, it, it's a film to me that I I wish that it was more clarified. Um, I wish that it like delved into its own mythology a little bit better and didn't want to play mystery box. But it's not like 
it's not unwatchable. I think you should watch it and kind of decide for yourself how you enjoy it or if you don't enjoy it. But, you know, for me, it just didn't click. You know, I'm, I mean, it, it, there's a, there's, there's two really good horror scenes, but I don't know if it's horror scenes that other horror fans would enjoy. Like, so like Ryan, I don't, I can't honestly recommend the movie to you. Cause I don't know if you would enjoy the horror elements in it or not. Um, but I wouldn't discourage you from checking it out if you have easy access to it, but I don't know if it was necessarily like worth it, but I, I appreciated going in blind and walking. I, I didn't see a trailer beforehand, nothing. So I appreciated kind of like walking into a blind experience. And also like the night we went to go see that was also the night we went to saw mortal Kombat, And that was like the first time within a year that, I felt like I was back home at the movie theater, like where other people were around. There was just a fun atmosphere kind of surrounding the circumstance. So it's hard for me to harp on a movie that ultimately was contributing to a part of a good joy that I had amidst a bad week. So, um, but I don't think I'll be picking it up again anytime soon. So sorry, Wheatley. I, 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 I'll watch free fire and let you know what I think next. I don't know, but free fire is fun. Yeah. Okay, cool. I need, I need again. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm only going off the two I've seen, so it's not like any judgment on him by any stretch. So, and he's also making the Meg too. So, who knows? Shut it, up, he, man. That could be my favorite Ben Whitley movie. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how I always like, I've seen a good amount of his filmography at this point, and how I always can describe him is that, if nothing else, Ben Whitley knows how to sell a film. Like oh, he knows yeah. how to tie a film in a way that buys, that makes you want to go see it, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you buy into what he is doing, I think you can really get into it. But that's the issue: is it's how how much do you buy into whatever he's making at the time? And mm-hmm. I, I frankly just didn't really buy into this one in particular. I think it has like some really good ideas, especially with the. Uh, I mean, it asks like a really interesting oh. question of being able to comp- being able to communicate with nature and hearing the sound of what like Earth is, and not being able to really even comprehend the power of that i think it's a really interesting idea that isn't explored as much as i really would have wanted it to. yeah that's the that's the thing the idea is awesome but then it 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 has everything else surrounding it yeah i will say that like what the the bad guy quote unquote because there's i don't want to spoil it in case people want to watch it there is a bad guy in the movie whose name is zach and when they when he says his name out loud i jumped and i turned to henry <laughs> It's just very rare that you hear the name Zach uttered in a movie for my taste. So like it's, it's few and far between. So um, maybe that ties into the fact that it was a, not a great movie for me is because my name was in it. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, are we on to me or Henry? Did you watch anything else? Oh, I'm done. It's on to you now. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't watch a bunch. Uh, I watched for the first time uninterrupted a face in the crowd. Um, I had seen this film in kind of chunks and clips over the years. I knew of its importance. I would always praise it from the footage that I had seen with Andy Griffith going like, this is not Andy Griffith on the television show. This is completely different. Watching it uninterrupted for the first time for a Ballyhoo was depressing, (laughs) uh, abrasive and brilliant. Uh, Ryan, I think you need to borrow this from me um, next time you come over. <laughs> um, I think you would like it a lot. It's uh, 
I don't want to go too much into it, but if anybody doesn't know, it's about a uh, a drunken singer, uh, uh, kind of like wanderer who gets discovered by a rate uh, like a, a kind of like a on the spot interviewing the people radio show and becomes an iconoclastic national icon um, in in media, gets his own television show works his way into politics. If this is all sounding familiar, just remember, I'm just, this is my probably possibly why I said it was depressing. Um, but Andy Griffith is fucking brilliant in it. Watching it uninterrupted in that form. Like you watch him devolve into pure fucking evil. Um, which I'm, I'm a big fan of those, uh, kind of stories. Like it's why I like there will be blood. Cause I do see it as like this person turning pure, fucking evil over the course of an entire movie it's funny as is that there are moments of empathy for Rhodes that i had never seen before and so it puts the character into this really strange place for me that i'm still kind of processing um it's not like you can't relate to him really by a certain point in the film because he he moves past that point but it's it's unnerving to watch it especially within the context of recent history. Um, and Walter Matthau is in it. It's an early role for Walter Matthau, who plays the writer for Lonesome Road's show, who kind of deviates off and just doesn't like what he sees coming out of the Lonesome Road's phenomenon. Um, it, it's fantastic. It's Elia Kazan and Bud Schulberg, the team behind On the Waterfront, which in itself has a lot of historical context and connotations in regards to Kazan and Huac, but you can all hear that on Ballyhoo down the line when Henry will be on to talk about that. Um, but yeah, Ryan, next time you're here, I'm going to loan you each dawn I die and a face in the crowd. Oh, cool. um, and then um, <clears throat> I watched a movie that was so insane and so off its goddamn rocker that I don't, I, I don't know how to pitch it. It's a movie called Madam Satan from 1930. Um, it is a Cecil B. DeMille movie. Now, how many, every, everybody here is familiar with some form of Cecil B. DeMille, whether it's Ten Commandments or, or uh, something of that nature where he's creating a huge scope out of something, right? Like there's an epic feel to it. Ryan, you, I know you've seen at least one Cecil B. DeMille movie, right? I've seen a few. Okay, cool. Madam Satan starts off as the story of a woman and a man and another man and another woman who are getting into picadillos regarding relationships. It turn, it's an open-door sex farce. Whatever. Doesn't matter. The resolution point of this film and the second act, really, uh, moves away from you know upper-class settings in New York into a giant Zeppelin. This Zeppelin is hovering across the city. And in this Zeppelin, we start seeing a full-on musical for absolutely no reason. Nothing in the film, apart from one song, indicates we are in for a full-blown musical, let alone a musical in a Zeppelin. Now, I've talked about the fact that airships and the 30s have too much of a comfortable relationship with each other in movies. (laughs) And Madam Satan topped everything. I mean, and I'm going to put on my video, everything. This is insane. There are people who are dressed up for a costume party. 
that decide to go big or go home like the Met on fucking Coke. In fact, I'm pretty sure everybody on the Zeppelin was on Coke. Then you have people dressed up as clocks doing a TikTok kind of dance, except it's not TikTok like we know it today. It's literally just a bunch of clocks moving side by side. Then you have our lead actress coming out and doing a foreign accent to disguise herself at this costume party. And she's clearly Madam Satan because she's got devil horns and all that. And the man that she is trying to wrangle up in the relationship is dressed up as Robin Hood. So Robin Hood and the devil are doing a dance of seduction. And in the middle of this whole fucking affair, and, I, and if, I'm sorry if I'm not describing plot details in specifics because the visuals overwhelmed my ability to process the plot. Here's why I gave it five stars. In the middle of this whole scenario, the airship undergoes difficulties. And much like James Cameron, who clearly stole this movie to make a film in 1997, he just used a real historical event to cover his ass. This movie shows a Zeppelin breaking in half and this whole party full of Zeppelin attendees turns into a fucking spiral disaster movie, not unlike a Hindenburg, but like 10 times more insane. Uh, Ryan, I'm here to tell you that Golden Age Hollywood was the best at special effects because in all the movies that have come out in the last 20 years, I have not seen a party full of people on a Zeppelin spiral around in the air next to the Statue of Liberty ever. That, 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 that is one thing that Holly, old Hollywood has that n- new movies can never top. Everything else will probably top it, like Thanos or a Spider-Man movie or whatever, but they will never be able to top a Zeppelin party going off the rails. <laughs> I can't believe you're describing a DeMille film that is overindulgent and sometimes... Oh. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. It's very in line with DeMille. But there are times when DeMille's movies, as indulgent and over grandiose as they are, you know, there's something to ground them. I don't think there's anything to ground Madam Satan because it's decided it has no intention of ever returning to Earth whatsoever until the Zeppelin itself crashes. Um, and yeah, I really recommend people check this movie out if they can find it. I saw it at Film Club. And I was not alone in my shock over this film because it starts off as one thing that might just seem kind of like a boring, like over the top, like a sex comedy or some kind of like melodramatic farce. And then it just goes off the rails. And then at the very end, they all seem to conveniently forget that they were in the middle of one of the worst disasters in New York history. Um, that could only be topped, obviously, by the events in New York and the Avengers. So, like, I, I, it, they just completely forget it, Ryan, and they just decide, like, you know, whatever. We've got to resolve our relationship issues. I'm like, no, no, no. You have to talk about the fact that you survived a Zeppelin crash, please. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, that's Madam Satan, guys. It's um, it's goddamn bananas, uh, and you should watch it for the sheer audacity of it. I'm not saying it's a great movie. But it is a five-star movie because I've never seen something like that before, and I don't think I'll ever see anything of that nature ever again. <laughs> and that's all I watched this week. Brad? Uh, yeah, I watched some stuff, and none of it's great. Um, Was it Madam Saint? <laughs> okay. No, I like that movie. Wait. Uh, the first thing I watched is uh, Ninja 3, The Domination, which I heard was a lot of fun, and nope. <laughs> uh it's pretty uh 
pretty ridiculous. A ninja gets killed by the cops Fatality. and then puts his soul into a woman who was just walking through the desert <laughs> on a jog, I guess. So she's possessed by this ninja, commits a bunch of murders, and starts dating a cop. And they have to exercise the ninja demon out of her. Yeah, that and... makes the movie amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's cheesy as hell, but it's just, it's just not as fun as I was hoping, you know? Um, what about the video game? <laughs> the video game? You're talking about Ninja 3, right? Yeah, she, like there's just, a, there's just a video game in, I guess, her apartment. That's the... Yeah. That's Is it. it. I got even. I have it, and I watch it sometimes. Doesn't <laughs> like electricity come out of the video game at one point? Uh, no. I think the the ninja just like starts to freak out, and she r- rides around in her apartment. But I don't think it has anything to do but with the video game. Remember, she gets a lot more eye makeup, and that means she's evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she also pours tomato juice on her chest to be sexy. Fatality. Yeah, it's really bizarre. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a canon, canon movie. film, so <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like at the beginning, they're you know they're chasing the ninja through like a golf course. It's so weird. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, the other thing I watched uh, was uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and yeah, that's kind of a silly movie. But the the best part was. There's a couple of funny gags in there. Like most of her gags are just sexual innuendo, but there's one where she's um, she's infatuated with this guy who runs a theater in the small town that she travels to, because she she's on the road because she has this inheritance of fifty thousand dollars she has to collect, and her car breaks down in the small town, and so she has to stay there for a few days. And she yeah she becomes infatuated with this guy like this you know big muscly guy who runs a the local uh, theater. And he's changing the marquee out and she goes to help him and she slips on the ladder and she's like holding the F from whatever the title was. And it slips down to like whatever title there was before, but it's UCK it's missing whatever the word was. <laughs> and then like the prude lady from the, the town who's trying to get her kicked out, sees it, sees the word fuck on the marquee and like faints. Um, yeah. It's a really funny. silly movie, but it's fun. Yeah. I also watched Cocktail, which is not the movie I expected at all. <laughs> Have you never seen it? No. Yeah, um, it's not that good. No, it's, it's not. Okay. It's balls too. Like it's like it is a very different place at the end than it was at the beginning. So. Oh yeah, like yeah, I thought it was like fun making drinks, and there's barely any like bartending at all in the movie. It's just these two assholes just <laughs> trying to get rich and. <laughs> Yeah, that and like, hardly any cocktails at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, and, like the whole point of it is Tom Cruise wants to be a famous bartender. It's really bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> bartender poet too. Not a not yeah. a winning combo. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's more. I mean it's again. I don't think there's bad Tom Cruise movies, but that one's not that great of one. Yeah, and it's, it's based on someone's actual true life, I guess, which. I doubt this happened, it's, but yeah. It's one of those movies I think the soundtrack is more popular than the film. Yeah, I think that's definitely what sold it. Well, yeah, you've got Kokomo on that soundtrack. That's a fucking dope song. Yeah. I also watched uh, How This Get Made. A couple episodes did a episode on the, a movie called The January Man, which oof, it is, that is, it's a it's like this movie that has a ton of A-list talent and production value and just a terrible 
like what is this movie i don't even understand it 45 minutes in uh kevin klein stars in it harvey keitel's in it uh susan sarandon rod steiger um it's basically the calendar man from dc comics uh Hmm. turned into a it's supposed to be a comedy and there's nothing funny about it at all um but yeah there's a guy who just strangles a bunch of girls based on the calendar and they're in january and kevin klein was a police officer who got thrown out of the, under the bus by the politics of i don't know i think new york city whatever the police chief they're like hey we need a scapegoat so you're you're out of here and he goes and becomes a fireman and then this strangler comes along he's like well we need kevin klein's sherlock holmesian talents to catch him so reenlist him and um yeah he doesn't do anything clever like Sherlock Holmes at all. Um, hmm. Yeah. And they only really solve any of the murder in the last 30 minutes. Like any detective. Oh, Alan Rickman's in it as his roommate who also just helps him on the computer. Um, yeah. It's awful. Uh, <laughs> Brad, you know who wrote it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the other thing. The guy who wrote doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, since 1989, he definitely upped his writing skills. Uh, And the last thing I watched was Jasper Mall, which is a cinema verite documentary about a dying mall in Alabama. Um, And it's uh, cool because there's no one crafting a story. You're just watching. uh, It starts with the main guy who does the security and the janitorial and the, the renting, like the administration, just one dude in this dying mall. And then they show you a couple other shops, which by the end of the movie all end up moving out. Um, at one point they're so strapped for business. Like there's no food court in the mall. Like there's no businesses like subway pieces out. And so he's struggling to get anyone to serve food in the mall so that people who work in the mall don't have to leave the mall to eat. And it's, yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't, introduce any solutions or any high drama is just you're kind of watching this unfold and uh one of the cool things is when he's uh when this guy's walking through the mall and like the empty jc pennies um the filmmakers inserted like really low sound design of when the mall was lively um so that was kind of cool but yeah that's all all i watched other than invincible which uh, I thought the penultimate episode that Jesse was talking about was awesome. And now we've only got one left and fucking the winter soldier. I just thought it was an epilogue episode. You know, the, the interesting one was the one before. So Ryan, what'd you watch? Uh, yeah, I uh, rewatched the, um, I think 2011 Winnie the Pooh. Um, Oh yeah, the like the the re the the return to the animated form. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the last uh, hand drawn animated theatrical film from Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's still a really cute movie. I have a lot of fun with it. It's I'm no joke. I think it's 69 minutes long, so it goes by really fast, and um, it's pretty great. Just a cute movie about them trying to find honey for and think Christopher Robin's kidnapped by some monster and they try to capture it. Is it a Heffalump? And that is the plot of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> is it a Heffalump Prime? No, I forget the name of it. Um, 
but there's a tag scene at the end that I didn't know existed. Um, where Nick it, Fury asks Winnie the Pooh to join the Avengers. No, it's it been sweet. So they spend this whole time, um, you know, talking about uh, this monster. And then, it, you know, Tigger falls through the the forest, the Hundred Acre Wood, and he comes out in all the looks like the monster that's described by Owl. And, <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, after the credits roll, the actual monster shows up and he has this really silly voice and He's just trying to, so they, they set a trail for him to fall into this pit and the, 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 the monster's like, oh my gosh, someone left all this stuff lying around. <laughs> it's pretty silly and funny. Um, I, I finally got around to seeing a movie James has been telling me for eight years to watch and it's about a rivalry. It's called Rush. Woo! And this movie's really great. Um, yes, it is. Chris Hemsworth and uh, Baron Zemo are in it. And his name's Daniel Brohl. <laughs> okay. Well, he'll always be Zemo to me. And um, they play real life rivals um, in a uh, Formula One. And Chris Hemsworth is kind of the guy who has lots of talent, but is also reckless. And then Nikki Lauda is this really gifted driver who also is really good at designing cars and makes the fast car in the circuit and it uh i i knew i was gonna enjoy the movie when right away when nikki lauda says i got hurt really bad chasing this asshole i go yes um so yeah it's a fun movie um and it's uh an interesting look at a rivalry because it really is all about a rivalry and how Sometimes a rivalry of someone who you think is an enemy actually makes you a better person and or a better driver. So I, f- I found it interesting when I watched it, how it kind of like, I almost feel like it's Ron Howard's best movie because it is recalling something that his directorial career started off with making films for Roger Corman first. Like he's recalling one of those genres that he found himself immersed in. And it there's, it feels like there's a, there's a sentimentality attached to the imagery in that film that I enjoy. Like I, I, I have to look at other films of his, but like, I feel like that's like his grand stroke apart from Apollo 13, where he kind of puts a lot of the stuff into it that he clearly is passionate about. Yeah. And it moves really quickly. And anytime it's a historical film, I always go back and like, see, well, what did they change about this? It's pretty accurate mm-hmm. about what happened. I mean, obviously the last, like the meeting in the hangar or something is, dramatized but um you know uh, i can't believe i can't remember chris hemsworth's character's name um john russell john i can't remember it i'm old um but uh james hunt not even close and uh (laughs) yeah it's just he only won one time like that's the only time he ever won uh racer of the or the championship and Nikki Lauda won it three times and was consistently a great driver where James Hunt kind of never really recaptured that magic. Um, it's more of it's a interesting, play, more of a playboy kind of like, yeah, well, he cared more term. about, he cared more about the image of being the champion than actually being the champion. Yep. Um, it, it may be why you remember Nikki Lauda's name and not James Hunt's name. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's a great film and uh, really well done. 
Uh, and the last thing I watched is a horror anthology called The Mortuary Collection. And it's really great. Um, I don't know if anybody else has seen it. Um, no, but you recommended it to me. Who is at the helm of this uh, anthology, my friend? Uh, his name is Adam Spin- Ryan Spindle. Okay. Um, uh, Clancy Brown plays a mortician. And he's visited by um, this young woman who wants a job at his mortuary. And while she's there, she asks him to tell her scary stories about the bodies that he has seen there. And it's really fascinating because uh, the wraparound story ties into the last story. But the like the first segment is really short, but it's really effective um and and this there is like a doctor that ties them all together too which is kind of unusual throughout the film and uh so yeah the the first one is this lady in a bathroom uh, i i don't want to say anymore because they'll spoil it because it's actually really short um the second one is about uh frat guys having unprotected sex um the third one is about a married couple. And then the fourth one is kind of a slasher film. Um, they all have interesting twists to them. Um, it's really cool. It's really gory. It's the special effects are by the guys who did um, like alien uh, versus predator and um, a bunch of other um, cool, like uh, horror films. And it's all pretty much practical. So it's pretty great. Um yeah. So, and the Blu-ray has about two hours of bonus features on it, which is really unusual about how they made it. And it started as a Kickstarter and then Shutter picked it up. Pretty great. And that's all I watched. Finish it. Uh, this week, we were chosen to visit Outworld and watch Mortal Kombat. Henry, should people watch Mortal Kombat? Fuck yeah, they should. This movie is fucking awesome. <laughs> you should go out as soon as you possibly can to go see the f- most fun movie you'll see in the theater this year, maybe. <laughs> Love it. Zach, should people see Mortal Kombat? I like the part where the mortals combated. Um, uh, yeah, you should. I'm a Mortal Kombat noob, as, as the gaming community might call me. I don't know. Maybe they will. Anyway, I enjoyed it. I like I like the fighting. I like that it gets to the point. It's not uh, trying to take itself too seriously, but it also treats the... It toes a line between serious and fun. Like, it, it's trying to treat the source material with sincerity, but it also knows what it's there for. Um, so I appreciated that it knew exactly what to do with the concept of a Mortal Kombat. It got me kind of into the lore a little bit. Like, I do want to learn more, so... Yeah, and the fight scenes are fucking cool. And uh, I like that they don't draw anything out too much because they got to get to more fighting. So we'll talk about my favorite death after the trailer. Brad, should people watch Mortal Kombat? Uh, yeah, like the Mortal Kombat franchise isn't precious to me, so they can do whatever they want. And I'd be like, well, as long as there's a bunch of like crazy violence I'm in. Um, I think given the rated R that they got, they could have pushed it a little harder. Um, but yeah, it's cheesy. It's fun. Um, it's better than the the '90s one in a different way. Um, yeah, I'm fine with it. Corinne, should people watch Mortal Kombat? 
I guess I'm the lone voice here. I didn't really like it that much. Uh, admittedly, I'm in the same boat as Zack, and I don't know a ton about Mortal Kombat. Um, I like Scorpion's Revenge a lot better than I like this movie. The, the, the beginning was really good, but it's like the longer it went, the more I just didn't care. And I'm like, this is getting into ridiculous territory. And admittedly, that's like a, you know, you can do that, and if you have fun with it, great, but it's just, eh, whatever. It lost me. Jesse, should people watch Mortal Kombat? I'm gonna say conditionally no. Uh, I think that if you know nothing about Mortal Kombat, you might be fooled into thinking that this is a good movie. But any true Mortal Kombat fan knows that this movie was garbage. Brutality. Uh, I am probably the biggest Mortal Kombat fan of everybody. And, Ooh, uh, fire. And I will say that this movie is a lot of fun. And you can't... I guess we'll wait till the spoilers, but... Um, I am not as beholden to uh, Mortal Kombat quote-unquote canon because at the end of the day, they rewrite their canon almost every game. So uh, here's a red band trailer for Mortal Kombat. First learned about this seven years ago on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target has superhuman abilities. It had the same marking you do, Cole. It's a birthmark. What do you mean? He was born with it. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. As Mortal Kombat. These are your champions. I'm Sonya. That's Kano. I'm Liu Kang. Name's Jax. Kong La. The fate of Earth is in our hands. No matter how many of my people you put in the ground, we will not fail. Kill them. Fucking beauty. Round one. Uh, so the story for Mortal Kombat is chosen warriors from Earth Realm have to fight warriors from Outworld in a co- tournament called Mortal Kombat, and 
after 10 consecutive wins, uh, the Outworld can invade Earthrealm and take it as part as their own. Um, however, the new uh, like turn in this film is Shang Soon decides that he's going to circumvent all those rules and not wait for the tournament. He's just going to invade Earthrealm and take care of the Earth Warriors so there can't be a tournament, so he wins by default. And then people fight and kill each other. It's hilarious. There's no, there's no Mortal Kombat tournament in the Mortal Kombat movie. Right? I thought the same thing. I was like yelling at the TV screen. I'm like, when is the tournament going to start? You tell me there's no tournament in a Mortal Kombat movie? It's like all prequel. I mean, Mortal Kombat 11, there's really no Mortal Kombat tournament. Yeah, but at that point, they'd already had several tournaments. And I guess that's that's like my main complaint about this movie is that the video game franchise, which is 11 games and has things such as, you know, multiple characters dying and coming back to life and, you know, uh, reboots and, you know, time travel and things like that has a more cohesive storyline than this movie. Fight. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it's about as a screenwriter, you have to find a way to make people go from one spot to the next and have them fight, which the uh, fighting game doesn't lend itself to a very cinematic narrative. I will say that Um, because even in um, the more cinematic Mortal Kombat games, there is no tournament except for Mortal Kombat nine, but even in Mortal Kombat nine, it's only like a fraction of what's going on in the game. And I definitely got the impression that a trade-off for the R rating and the low budget was that, uh, hey, well, like it's not that low a budget, but like, hey, uh, the producers were like, look, if you can make this about people getting their superpowers, so this movie feels like a superhero movie, we'll give you the money for it. We'll pony up for an R-rated movie. So, yeah, what was with the superpowers thing? Like that made no sense. I mean, it makes as much sense as Liu Kang actually being able to shoot fireballs and do his other shit. I don't well, know. Okay, so in the original, like the their quote superpowers is just them harnessing like their chi or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And and to me, if someone says like, "Hey, you know, like you you're able to harness your chi and you're able to do this," as an audience member, I can say, "Okay, whatever." But the whole like, "Oh, you get this dragon tattoo by killing people that have one, and then it unlocks superpowers." Like, why is Kano's superpower that he can fire a laser out of one eye? Like, it would have made a lot more sense if he just had a cybernetic part of his face that fired a laser. But what kind of a superpower is firing a, a laser out of one eye? I don't like, know. You imagine Superman. Superman had laser vision, but only out of one eye. And, and then, like, Jax's superpower was super confusing. So he gets metal arms over metal arms that he already had. So if he had regular arms, would he have grown metal arms over the arms that he had? Or would he have just gotten bigger, beefier arms? Fatality. It's like Meg with her, like, growing her nails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> the nails thing. Like, the, that whole, like, superpowers thing made no sense. And why is Cole's superpower that he gets... So he's really shitty at fighting. So he, he gets like a bodysuit of armor that's kind of like Black Panther where it can and absorb damage. 
and then and then deal it back and i'm like okay i get that and then all of a sudden out of nowhere it also grows tonfas like okay and then the black panther power stops working for like the second half of the fight exactly like the black panther power like completely goes away i'm just like why did he get these tonfas what is happening what about raiden who his solution to the movie is to teleport all the villains away but he doesn't do it earlier yeah i i couldn't understand that either where he's you know He's like, well, there's no rules in Mortal Kombat that says that they can't just come here and kill all of our fighters. I'm like, bullshit, there's no rules that say that. Like, if if that wasn't a rule, then why even hold a tournament? Like, why wouldn't Outworld just come here and kill everyone on the fucking planet just to get them out of the way and then be like, well, I guess we win by default because there's no one to fight us. Um, Just like in my job in real life, Bad guys don't play by the rules. <laughs> so also, also but it's, the, it's but the rules of Mortal Kombat are made by the Elder Gods. So you would think that the Elder Gods would be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're skirting around our rules." Like yeah, the Elder but, I mean, in, in Mortal Kombat three, like Shao Kahn, Elder enacted... Gods would be the cops who would have to come in and be like, "Hey, whoa, whoa! You're not playing by the rules. We <laughs> live by laws here." And then the elder gods, you know, slash the cops would have to put those people in jail, right? Yeah, but at the same time, in Mortal Kombat 3, uh, Shao Kahn circumvented the rules by killing his wife and then having her reincarnated on Earth so he could step onto Earth and take her, uh, you know, take his bride back. So he circumvented the rules in the uh, chance that he lost Mortal Kombat. So I don't know. We yeah, to, the movies. We, the, the logic behind the movie is silly, but it's no more silly than any Mortal Kombat game. I mean, in, 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 I mean, and the and the the newest one, they literally after they've gone back twenty five years from the previous one to fix a problem with Shinnok corrupting the Jinsei, which is a magical power that imbues fighters that corrupts Raiden after he kills Shinnok meaning Raiden then goes to the nether realm I mean it's all silly so I, I can forgive I it mean, for that my whole goal into going in, into this movie is to make sure that it's fun and yeah well the I, I, made a fun. Bullet, I made a bullet list of, of complaints <laughs> so <laughs> round two uh let me start with the um, the, the pros, because I think you should always start with the positive, you know, stay positive. Uh, things I liked about the movie, the fatalities were on point. Superb. You know, every time they killed someone in the movie, it was great. It was exactly like it is in the game. A lot of the characters were great. Like, Cabal was on point. Kung Lao was great with his, like, cockiness and, you know, self-assurance. Jax was pretty good. Sonya's character was very accurate. <laughs> um, Kano was great. Uh, most of the fight scenes were pretty good. Um, you know, Scorpion and Shang Tsung both said the things that they're contractually obligated to say, you know, that any fan expects them to say. Um, I thought that was like the strongest story, like part of the movie was that storyline. 
Yeah, I mean, which is from the games, so it's not new, but yeah, yeah. the the whole the whole storyline, even though it was a little bit of like, um, uh, you know, it kind of took you out of it. Like the the storyline between like the scorpion and the sub zero thing, I thought was really well done. Well done. Um, it ate up a lot of time, but you know, it, it it in essence, like a lot of Mortal Kombat lore is the story between those two clans. You know, yeah, like, I mean, if we could have gotten a full movie version of that, like eight minute scene at the opening with where it was this had this kind of like last samurai sort of vibe, I'm like, yeah, exactly. why couldn't we have gotten yeah. a movie about that? Yeah, like that that whole like that opening scene was just beautiful, and I mean, like even even Ed Boon will will tell you that you know he's like, oh, I know, I you know we have like this whole story, but he's like, my love for Mortal Kombat really lies in the story of Scorpion, you know, in uh, Hanzo Hasashi and, and his feud with, with uh, Bihan and the Shirai Ryu and everything. And Actually, so I, I, sorry, continue. I was, I was going to say, like, I, 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 I expected that Cole was just going to be Scorpion, like a reincarnated version of that character. Instead yeah, I, I thought, thought that, that would have made Mortal Kombat people lose their fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. I thought that too, I mean, Brad. I thought I he was like, just going to like manifest into Scorpion at the end because I knew Scorpion would show up at the end of the movie. So I figured it would just be like, you know, Scorpion takes over his body or something. But no, Scorpion just appears no. out of nowhere for no reason at all. And it was really stupid. I mean, I was and glad also, to see Sor- Scorpion come back. He should have been no in the movie way all. more. Fight. Yeah, Sub-Zero. <laughs> Why? And how annoying with that whole like Hollywood thing. Every time he spoke, he had to fucking remove his mask so that you can see the actor talking. Yet every time Sub-Zero said any lines, he just kept his mask on. <laughs> like, why did Scorpion have to remove his mask every time he said something? Just uh, so Scorpion had to come back to beat Sub-Zero so it can set up Noob Cybot in the next film. Finisher. Oh, God, I hope they don't make any more. He did, he did speak with his mask on. He said, get over here. Yeah, that's the contractual part of the thing. Okay. You know, I think the, like, Scorpion should have been in the movie more. I figured it was going to be more like Scorpion's Revenge, and we were going to see him like climb out of hell or something. But no, he just like manifests out of up. nowhere. <laughs> for some reason. To beat Sub-Zero. I get that. <laughs> like, why couldn't Girl, Girl have done the, the it? I don't get it. it. shows up to beat Sub-Zero. Why does it have to be anything more? It's not, like, it's not like they did some, like, incantation and, like, pulled him out of hell or something. He just, like, appeared for some reason. It wasn't even, like, a conscious decision on the part of the other people in the scene. Uh, he had freaking his um, spear end <laughs> with his blood on it. Gosh. Kunai... Sorry, it Jesse, you had more bullet points. It wasn't even a spear. It was just like a garden trowel. <laughs> well, because that's what it really is. I mean... No, yeah, it's a kunai. And yeah, kunai were actually I mean, uh, gardening tools, not ninja yeah, weapons. Okay. Uh, so on, on the negative side, my whole thing is like, who the fuck is Cole? Like, why do I care about this character? Like, why did they have to make... You know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, like, in the Mortal Kombat world, like, we're always given new characters 
and everything. So it's it's not like I'm like old man, you know, this isn't one of the original six. You know, Henry and uh, Zach, you can chime in too to help me tell them why this movie's awesome. I've tried. (laughs) (laughs) But you were talking and I didn't want to interrupt. (laughs) I really liked Cole because I thought he was cute. So I just wanted to see what happened with him. He was cute. I'll agree with you there, Henry. Also, Um, I understand he's like an MMA fighter or something. Right? A terrible one. Apparently, like well, they only hire him because he can get his ass kicked a lot. The punching bag. <laughs> well, yeah. there's. They also said that he used to be really good. Jack said that. <laughs> right, yeah, Henry. He's a cute that, punching bag. Yeah, they needed to anything to do with that, and he needed to refine what was important to him. No, I meant like the actor is an MMA fighter. Can I? Oh, can I, I know. Oh, can I make a defense for Shang Soon? Can I make a defense for Shang Soon deciding to say fuck the rules? It, the same actor played Mr. Lau in The Dark Knight. He's been known to not play by anybody's real rules. He hides money wherever he wants in that movie. So of and course he's, he's a just bad guy. He doesn't have to play by the rules. Exactly. So he's gonna skirt. The, he's gonna skirt Mortal Kombat law just like he skirts Gotham law and Gotham mob law. So I think the point is like there's no there's these rules, but there's no oversight of them. Exactly. No, eventually there is. In, in Mortal Kombat lore, eventually it happens. Yeah, in Mortal Kombat lore, but not in this stupid movie. Brutality. Yeah, but imagine how <laughs> yeah, But the movie is a setup. Like, you yeah, but you're going to have a four-hour-long Mortal Kombat movie? Well, here's, here's the problem with like Hollywood is that like this movie set this thing up like it's going to be a franchise, okay? So they're really? like, oh, well, there's going to be more. So like, here's your investment. But again, I have problems with that investment. Number one, Goro, who is supposed to be this badass character. Like, Goro has defeated nine of the champions from the last, you know, like, because this is supposed to be like the 10th Mortal Kombat tournament. He has defeated nine of the last champions. And yet, he just turns into, like, yard garbage for this coal guy. Like, they just send him in like he's just some useless soldier. Uh, Melina who is supposed to be a clone of Katana and Katana. So in the original stuff, you know, like Katana is Asian and obviously in this movie, Melina is not Asian. And so by not, by not having a Katana in the movie, Melina being in it kind of doesn't make any sense. And then also her death doesn't mean anything. Like they just kind of turned her into a background character. Well, uh, I mean, they throw wh- how is Melina created General, though? They throw I mean, in the name of General Reiko like they're just like oh this was a character that was in a video game but um let's make him not anything like the video game just because we need more fodder right and then they throw in natara because they're just like hey we need some more characters to kill and i'm fine with like hey here's some nameless characters to kill but you know like they throw in reptile basically and then he gets killed and i mean there's just like a lot of characters where you're like these care some of these characters are important later on maybe you shouldn't just kill them off like they're ancillary background characters but if but if mortal Kombat, if if i'm understanding some of the things that have been described within the course of the conversation cuz hi i'm i'm zach i'm new to this stuff you suck if they can just re regenerate and come back throughout several different games couldn't it feasibly the franchise pull an x-men franchise where they just bring back characters for no reason don't make me like laugh. to just have them in there for sequels like they could feasibly bring goro back I mean, but, I don't see how they would. But, but see, the argument for Goro, bad. it doesn't matter either because if you want to go in, Mortal Kombat, in the first Mortal Kombat game, he's beat by fucking Liu Kang. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. 
he, well, he's yeah, that was the thing. Liu Kang is supposed to be like the main guy yeah. of the yeah. whole mortal. Like he's the chosen one. So a, sure. why didn't Liu Kang beat him? And and b, you know, like well, I'm, because you, I mean, you could, I mean, it, so what's better to get Goro like eviscerated uh, in fighting someone or getting punched in the nuts and falling off a cliff in the first Mortal Kombat movie? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, you're comparing apples to oranges now. Like but yeah, but you're also comparing like the Mortal Kombat a, a character that does really no consequence in the first Mortal Kombat game. Who cares how he dies? I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, you can just say all you want. It is your right as an American to be wrong. So, uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I just thought the movie was garbage. Like it was, it just seemed like the typical pandering Hollywood crap that they always pump out where they're just like, let's take a property, you know, like we were talking about this earlier with Invincible, you know, where I was like, stories that are, are told well will always shine above. Like you don't have to take the easy way out. And I feel like they, they took, like this movie feels like it was written by someone who had never seen or played Mortal Kombat. And instead got all of the notes from Mortal Kombat from like a classmate of his, but it wasn't even like the good kid in class. It was like the stoner kid in class or, or it was like an eight year old or something like that. And he was just like, yeah, this is what Mortal Kombat is. Like it just seemed like really lazy writing. And I'm, I'm not like opposed to new characters or differing storylines or things like that, but this just really seemed like it. It, it was like a real like poop in the face for like Mortal Kombat fans who have been waiting patiently for a good movie because, you know, like the first one in the nineties, it, it wasn't terrible. I mean, like uh, what's his name? Like Paul Anderson, he knows how to make pretty decent adaptations of video games into movies. Uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation was obviously like, we won't speak about that ever again but you know like i honestly like going to this like i had high hopes like the trailers looked good like everything about it looked great and there were things about this movie that were really great and i feel like it was just in the way that he handled a lot of characters in the way that like the story was told in the fact that you know like (laughs) we didn't even get into a tournament in this movie and yet you killed off like so many of the main characters like where are we supposed to go from here? And then there's this whole John Wick sort of, uh, you know, like what universe did they create? Like how many more dragon tattoos are out there? So now that, you know, um, now that Kung Lao is dead, where did his dragon tattoo go to? Right. Cause like it had Johnny Cage, <laughs> Johnny Cage, Johnny Cage or- I guess. Yeah. Right. But I, well, mean, I mean, like, and there's well, more and they than never one. Say how, well, they never say how many dragon tattoos there are. Like, it isn't like, oh, but, there's only seven. Is that really an ten. important, like, point? Like, do you well, have to okay. know that? So, I'm just well, I get, so my argument for that is, is, is when, like, Shang Tsung is like, go to Earth and kill everyone that has a dragon tattoo. And we see him, like, track down a handful of people, right? well, what's Johnny Cage doing in Hollywood? Was he just sitting there like sipping on Mai Tais? Because obviously they weren't coming for him. Well, I'm guessing that he didn't have one until Kong Lao died. So Yeah, but the movie also sets the precedence that you get one of those by killing someone who has one. 
Well, I mean, doesn't Shang Tsung already have one? So maybe well, Shang Tsung come... wouldn't have one because he's from Outworld. So that's the thing is like the movie doesn't explain any enough about like the dragon tattoos and how they work. It's just a very flimsy plot device to explain like who's supposed to be in the tournament and who gets magical powers. Boy, they need those magical powers because those outworlders were way overpowered compared to just regular human beings. Right. And not only that, but like some of those outworlders were actually people from earth, like Cabal is oh, yeah. someone from earth because Kano knew him because they were in the black dragon together. So how do they explain that? Oh, they didn't. Who cares? Uh, you know, like the, the movie just had a lot of poorly written plot holes. They and... did explain it. It's, I mean, Kano and, and Cabal in Mortal Kombat, eventually join Outworld to, like, Kano joins the extermination squads. No, and I mean, more... I get that for the games, but you're sure. also like, you're using the games to fill in the whole no, he, this movie No, Cabal created. says that when he's talking that. to Shang you have to Soon. Take, you have to he says that when he's talking to Shang Soon what he's doing. doing. Yeah, but I, I'm, what I'm saying is, is like, as someone, you know, like, obviously you and I are very into the games and into the lore, and you can't just take what the lore has told us over the years and be like, oh, well, this is what the movie meant by this because the movie didn't actually explain it. I'm not saying that. He he explains to Shang Tsung that he knew uh, Kano and he can get him to join their side. He literally says that to Shang Tsung in the the movie. I mean, I guess, but then the other problem is like Raiden who is completely toothless in this movie where he's, he's just like, yeah, I guess they can invade and they can come into my temple and they can kill people and that's cool. And then like later on, you know, when they're all fighting, Raiden is, is able to like zap Shang Tsung and like zap him away. And then also like it calls like, hey, you're able to move anyone around at any time. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought, I thought Raiden couldn't do a fucking thing. And now all of a sudden we find out that he can just teleport people around. He can electrocute people in his temple. Like what's going on? And I mean, I guess you could argue the point that it's like, oh, well, he was doing it the whole time to try and, you know, like get them to unlock their hidden power. But I don't know. It still seems pretty flimsy. It's quite a quite a gamble. Exactly. And, and, and gambled and lost because they, they ultimately basically lost their best warrior when, when Kung Lao was killed. Flawless victory. Jesse, I agree with you. I felt like the writing was really weak in some areas, and I actually feel the opposite. I felt like this was written by a Mortal Kombat like super fan, and they were trying to throw in like as many Easter eggs and references as possible, so that if you were relative new or relatively new to the franchise, you had no idea who the hell these people were and what the hell they were talking about half the time. I mean, yeah, I get the basics of it, but. It's like, who are these people? Why do I care? Like, they kind of did, like, this wink and a nod, like, every time, like, I rem- like the scene where they introduced the people from Outworld, and they're like, this is so-and-so, and this is so-and-so, and I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are, but they have this kind of, like, wink and nod of, like, oh, but you know, and I'm like, no, right? I don't know. Like, when they're, they're like, this is General Reiko, and I'm like, I mean, I know that name from the games, but he's not really like a character that I'm like, fuck yeah, Reiko's in this movie. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Well, they do that too because they can kill him and no one cares. Yeah, but then they should have had all characters like, you know, Reiko and Natara. Like they shouldn't have had any characters like Melina 
that's a big storyline or Goro or any, you know, it's like the movie couldn't decide whether it wanted to be a prequel film that was like really setting stuff up or whether it wanted to be, you know, kind of like the film from the 90s where, where it's like, hey, these are the characters and we're having the tournament and the stakes have never been higher. It just kind of like split the difference between the two. And I feel like anytime you're making a movie and you split the difference between something, you're not going to make anyone happy. I mean, I, could I possibly speak as, as one of those outsiders that outworlders, you mean? <laughs> yes, I'm an outworlder. Yes. <laughs> I came down with, 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 uh, with Mr. Lau and we all just hung out with each other. Um, just kicking back, watching Mortal Kombat. No, no enough um, out of you, noob. Henry? Well, okay. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Go ahead, Zach. Um, I was gonna. I was kind of wanting to ad- address it from the grounds of somebody who's watched a couple of video game adaptations for this show, for review, and most of them have kind of left me not super impressed. And I'm not. I haven't played a video game really, like played a video game since I was in middle or high school. So I can't like speak to the mythology and lore, but there's a there's a thought in my head as I was watching the film about like, you know, it is perhaps one of the reasons I'm enjoying this is because they're splitting the difference and finding some form of balance between the film fans who are just coming in to watch a movie, especially after a pandemic where they want to see some kind of fun, violent action movie taking place and the fans of Mortal Kombat and I told Ryan when I came out of the theater, I was like, this is probably the best comic, uh, best um, video game movie I've ever seen off of the grounds of being somebody who wasn't talked down to, but also wasn't um, uh, expected to know much going in. Like it gave me exactly what I needed as an entry point to have some form of interest to maybe even pick up the video game, which in and itself video games are their own type of art form that are, that is growing and evolving at a rate that's, you know, exceeding film in many ways. And so I kind of appreciated that there was this attempt to not belittle you for not knowing anything going in, but also trying to um, appease fans like Ryan who enjoyed it, where they, they have they, they they can have something to latch on to and have a fun time because like I, I I don't know I had a lot of fun with it and I'm sure if I went into the video game lore maybe I'd have like you know pointers here and there but I don't know if it took away the enjoyment factor that I had going in so it, that's just that's just me uh, like kind of coming in on this blind from a cinematic level it hits all the beats of that kind of an action film that's centered around around some form of martial art lore um, that, you know, does its job efficiently and correctly by yeah. most of you. So, um, I mean, but, well, but that goes saying. back to my original critique of where I was like, if you don't know anything about Mortal Kombat, you might like this movie. But I think yeah. that most Mortal Kombat fans are probably not going to be satisfied with, you know, like this being the penultimate Mortal Kombat movie we've been waiting for. And I mean, I can, I can just tell you from being on, you know, social media boards and things with other Mortal Kombat fans, like this movie's pretty universally panned by fans. Like we hate it. I mean, you know, I am part of that community. <laughs> Henry, I don't see you on them boards. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, th- I think uh, 
message boards and stuff like that are toxic. So I don't go on them because I also think, and I, and this is just my experience and I'm not lumping you in this by any means, Jesse, um, Brad and I had went, I'll never forget going to San Diego comic-con and listening to the worst fans ever were mortal Kombat fans. And I continue to believe that mortal Kombat fans are some of the worst fans in fandom because it's always about, you need to include this character. Well, this character's stupid. You changed Sindel's backstory, so now Sindel is stupid. This is fucking dumb. I hate these fucking games. And in the meantime, they're selling millions and millions of copies of it. So all they do is bitch about what they have. I feel the same way about Amazing Spider-Man too. People bitch about you know how bad the movie is, but I can always take away something from it that I love, and I love Spider-Man. I feel the same thing about Mortal Kombat. You know, that people are mad. Oh, well, Melina just died in this movie. I mean, if Mortal Kombat fans were really like hardcore Mortal Kombat fans, they would also know that she died at the end of Mortal Kombat 2, the video game. And she was recloned again by Shang Tsung in the flesh pits. So her death means absolutely nothing because she can always be remade. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but, but my point is that without knowing that Melina is a clone of Katana. Like yeah, but person, you're using that against me really when I can mean, use that against right. you that you she has this huge story. She, she, you do, if people go in, it's like, oh, who cares if she dies? You know, she doesn't matter in the long run because you know her story of where she, you know, eventually becomes the empress and stuff of Outworld or tries to overthrow Kotal Khan, but that's not till Mortal Kombat 10. She dies at the end of Mortal Kombat 2 in canon. And she's so not brought back. Let me ask you this, Ryan. Sure. Do you like this movie better than Scorpion's Revenge? Uh, um i like them both for different reasons um because i mean yeah i mean then you can also say in scorpion's revenge Garo dies like a bitch in scorpion's revenge too you know it's the thing with mortal Kombat is you're gonna have to introduce characters that are gonna die or you can't have fatalities so my my pushback to and i've seen because i i do follow mortal Kombat online is people are mad about Reptile. Well, what has Reptile done in the games that's so spectacular? Nothing. He can fucking die. Who cares? Um, Wait, the, so the, the most important the, the, thing are is... Are you talking about the Reptile guy that Kano kills, Ryan? Yeah. Oh, where he's like, he... Kano wins, you fucking beauty. You know, it's... Oh, okay. And I and I think Kano's really fun in the movie. Um, I agree. Cole, Cole is put in the movie for people who don't know Mortal Kombat. He's like, bring the audience into the yeah, world. I get it. Um, no, I, I get it. I mean, like, I get why the movie was done the way that it was done. I, I just, yeah. it's also my opinion that I, I disagree with certain things. That's cool. And I mean, like, if, if they, if they continue with these, which I feel like in Hollywood anymore is like a big stretch, you know, like we might get a payoff in the next movie. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you can dislike, you know, like Brad will tell you that when Batman v Superman came out, he was like, that movie was great. And I was like, that movie fucking sucked, you know? And I have since, you know, rescinded what I said because I felt like Zack Snyder's justice league was a a payoff to what was set up in that movie. And so I feel like if they do more of these mortal Kombat movies, we could get a payoff in this, you know, where I could be like, Oh, things I didn't like in the first movie. I see that we're being set up for things in the second movie, but I don't know that. I don't know that that's not going to, you know, that that's going to happen. And so all I have is this movie 
And so my opinion has to be based off of this movie alone. And as it sits right now, like I'm not impressed. I feel like there are, you know, like incongruencies in characters. I feel like they, I feel like a lot of the characters were cast correctly, you know, but I feel like a lot of them were mismanaged. Like they really put um, Raiden and Liu Kang kind of in the background. Whereas I feel like those two characters need to be a little bit more in the forefront. Like I didn't feel like Raiden really had like the oomph that we're used to seeing with Raiden. I mean, like, both in the video games and then like even in the nineties movie when, you know, it was Christopher Lambert. I mean, he just he came in and he owned that character. I agree. Um, Raiden's my favorite. And I thought the movie did him a disservice. Yeah. He just, he seemed really toothless where he's just like, well, I guess they can just come in and trash my place and there's nothing I can do. And I'm like, dude, you're the God of thunder and the guardian of earth realm. And you're just sitting here like, well, there's nothing I can do. Um, it felt like he was simultaneously both not in it enough and in it too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because then at the end, he's like, ah, all of that me not doing things was just helping you gain your powers. And it's like, well, we, we lost Kung Lao. And he's like, all part of my plan. I'm backing out. You know, like, he's just kind of, uh, you know, like I said, that if if they do make a sequel to this, and it, you know, and it continues with it, and I hope that it does, then then it'll, it'll all be worth it, and I'll eat a bunch of crow. But if this movie just dies, you know, right now on the table, it, it'll just be another subpar Mortal Kombat movie, and I think that that's terrible because Mortal Kombat is such a great franchise, and there's so much great storytelling, and I think this goes back to kind of what we were talking about before with, like, Warner Brothers just really doesn't know what to do with their properties, you know, I mean, like they're mismanaging the DC stuff. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't on the episode with you guys, but like, you know, the Kong versus Godzilla just, it was definitely the dumbest of, of that franchise so far. It was like monkey punches crocodile. And, and then, you know, I was really looking forward to this and it feels like another, like just mismanage of, of properties. I, I feel I, like with the, I feel like that, the element of this being the entry point means that if they get a sequel greenlit, which if they were able to do this on a particularly scant budget in exchange for that R rating amongst other things, if they get something greenlit, then they're going to be able to go off into that territory world where they'll be able to do more payoffs that cater towards, um, cater towards those desires. So it, it is a wait and see period. Um, I'm optimistic because it hooked me, and I would I would love to go back for more. But again, hey Henry, you've been quiet. What do you think? I'm so oh. curious what Henry's been trying to say for like 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> well, just uh, I mean, from my point of view, like I play Mortal Kombat at like the arcade, like at like barcade. So it's like my extent of the knowledge of this franchise is I know the names, and that's about it. And so for this movie. I think it worked really well because every scene would be like, oh, now this person's in it. It'd be like, well, I recognize that name and I know that he's going to fight soon and that's fun for me. Mm-hmm. And so like you described like the whole plot line, but honestly, you're, you're, you're listing all these things that like either happen or don't happen in the thing. And I didn't even notice because at the end of the day, what I went into this movie to do was I went into it to be like, okay, these are the bad guys and these are the good guys. And I know that the bad guys need to be stopped. 
And so, and I see the bad guys get stopped by the good guys for the most part. And so, and I see that your, your big shelf of all your toys and that kind of thing. And I will tell you from the, like, that's just kind of the plight of the fan. I'm a huge Pokemon <laughs> fan, but Detective Pikachu is garbage. It's nothing like the game. <laughs> that's just kind of the plight of that. And it's just, I feel like, I don't know. You, you talk about like the payoff of like the storyline, that kind of thing. And I understand your point of view from that. But from my point of view, when Sub-Zero stabs that guy and then his blood comes out and then he freezes the blood and uses the blood as a knife, that's my payoff. We're just like, well, awesome. again, that's all I the wanted. Fight scenes, so. The fight scenes were great. The fight scenes yeah. were like right out of the game. The fatalities, a lot, several of them were right out of the game. You know, like in, it, it's amazing, I, I guess, to see like a movie that can take so many things correct about Mortal Kombat and then also like simultaneously screw up the storyline. Cause yeah, like anytime people were fighting, I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then, you know, when it was like story and people talking, I was like, no, 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 no. And I guess like the um, point, of view, point of view that I'm just trying to make is that I think that for me at least, and I feel like I think this would be the average viewer of the thing who would know the name Sub-Zero, Scorpion, and some of the others, but don't really know the story of it. The content for the film is really the fighting, and the storylines that you and uh, Ryan keep talking about, that's the fluff for like the general audience. Be like, I'm here for, for the fights, and if you can make the fights have like a motivation that's fun, then that's great. But I really am just satisfied by seeing someone get sawed in half by the hat guy. Oh, that's by the way, that's my favorite that's my favorite fatality in the movie. Yeah, so yeah that was so great. Like, I understand your <laughs> frustration you know about having like the really the storylines that you know and love, but I think that's just kind of that's part of the problem with always making an adaptation is that you're not going to get the stuff that you really love because the thing that really sells is going to be the thing that is the most appealing to the most broad audience. And I think exactly, and I, think I, I will say Henry that I will I will heavily on making the fights your, your point. point. So. I will say yeah. Henry that I, I concede to your point. Like I see. I see what you're trying to say, um, and that, and that's, you know, I mean, you're not wrong, and I guess that's that's kind of what goes back to my original thing where I'm like, I feel like anyone who doesn't know a whole lot about Mortal Kombat, <laughs> yeah. this is a nice little, because, you know, like, I watched the movie, I watched the movie with my mom, um, <laughs> she just happened to be over this past weekend to help out with the baby and to, like, visit and everything, and she doesn't know anything about Mortal Kombat, and she was like, mostly entertained you know or she was like kind of like oh that was that was fine that was okay you know i was just like brooding after the whole movie but um you know like i i have a one of my best friends he doesn't know much about mortal Kombat, and he watched the movie and i remember he texted me on saturday and he's like oh my god like have you seen mortal Kombat? like so good loved that movie and i was just like yeah i didn't <laughs> and how dare he, you he was very he, yeah he was very shocked he was like i can't believe you know and he was like well i guess this is just his whole thing was he was like well i guess this is just the mortal Kombat fan who can't be pleased by anything and so like he's he's like a big fan of um harley quinn and like the joker and so i got him back and i said yeah i mean why should movies you know use anything from the source material i guess that's why joaquin phoenix's joker is the greatest joker movie of all time and he 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 hates that movie because it deviates so far from the source material and so he was kind of like ah i see your point and and you know it's it's the whole thing of like you can make a movie that's really great that isn't you know that deviates from the source material 
and it pleases like some people, but it's not going to please other people. And I guess that like, this is also one of those movies where it's like, it's, it's going to please some people. It's not going to please everyone. And I mean, that's fine. I guess like the biggest thing is how well did it do at the box office? You know, cause I mean, if, if it was gangbusters, then, you know, I guess I'm the asshole and I'm wrong, but whatever. Um, it's made half its budget back, so it'll probably get a sequel. Hey, and if it does, I'll, I'll see the sequel. Like, I won't lie. You know, I'm, I'm curious. I'll, I'll see what happens with it. I'm just, you know, like we're, we're here talking about our opinions and mine was that it, it, it wasn't the end all be all I was hoping for, but, it also wasn't complete garbage. It wasn't as bad as Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anything could be that bad. Like, you'd have to really try hard to make a movie that bad. Consciously. If they make a sequel, they definitely need to bring uh, Sub-Zero and Scorpion back, because Joe Taslim, who plays Sub-Zero, and Hiroyuki Sonata, who plays Scorpion, are definitely like the best fighters in the movie. And I did watch a little bit of a behind the scenes thing where they were saying that Joe Taslam um, was like so good that the others, other actors had to ask him to slow down when they were filming. Cause he was just like fighting so fast. <laughs> I just want them to actually cast Jean-Claude Van Damme as Johnny Cage. That's <laughs> I think, he's, I think he's too old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a bit too old, but I, I also would love that. That's how you get Cassie Cage in. That's true. I'm sold. So what do we see next week? I have no idea yet. <laughs> Didn't uh, James say he had a opinion on this? Oh, oh that's did. right. Thanks, Henry. Here's James's opinion. Hey, guys. It's James. Uh, I wanted to call in about Mortal Kombat because as much as I don't really love uh, release date streaming, it is kind of cool as a father of two to be able to watch Mortal Kombat like right away, you know, broken up throughout the day while trying to feed a to- uh, an infant. Um, but anyway, uh, I will say, you know, I don't really care much at all about a Mortal Kombat, but that was pretty fun. Like, it was, uh, it was, it was cool. I, I will say, I wish it was a little, hey, huh, I'm trying to be on a podcast. See, even when I call in, he's in the way. Anyway, um, uh, I, I was expecting it to be even more brutal. Uh, like, it was not quite as bloody as I would have, as I would have wanted, but, um, Seems like it was cool. Story was whatever, but you're not there for that anyway. A uh, guy cut a guy and turned his blood into a knife. That was dope as hell. So anyway, miss you guys. Hope to see you soon. Bye. What does James know anyway? Well, you know what? I, I take back everything that I said. James completely sold me. This movie is amazing. Um, Best picture, right? I'm sorry, guys. Like, I, you know, I, I'm man enough to admit when I was wrong. And James really put me in my place. So, uh, yeah, let's go lick my wounds and really think about my choices in life. Just imagining I, I, James descending down. <laughs> I'm just glad James is able to watch a movie. It's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone this one. <laughs> I thought he was still busy playing The Last of Us. I hope his children saw it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. What is next week, guys? I think oh. we got to pull something from, from previous weeks, probably. Yeah. But mm. after that, I think we're almost set because, like, there's a new Jason Statham movie, and then there's something May 14th. I thought May was when we were doing our uh, 10 year anniversary thing. 
Well, we still got to schedule that. Yeah, we got to figure that out. Has uh, everyone seen nobody yet? Yeah, we did. Yes. It was fun. You don't could go watch uh, that Demon Slayer and not know the context. So. <laughs> I just Sweet. Know that the, I just I like the part where he's the demon and he slays things. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe we could do Raya the Last Dragon. Uh, yeah, there's. I'm sure there's things. We'll figure it out. Ooh, figure the out. courier, the courier, Benedict Cumberbatch, guys. Benedict Cumberbatch. Remember him? I do. I heard good things about that movie. Uh, one of my coworkers was talking about it. I'm so. a sucker for a good little spy caper, so I'm down. <laughs> uh, I saw yeah. Raya the Last Dragon, and uh, I think I think you'd just be best to pass on it. <laughs> and, and I have a child, and yeah, it's not a good movie. So it's a swing and a miss by Disney. Finish him. Cool. Uh, Jesse, thanks for being on the show and being wrong. I appreciate it. Fatality. Oh, thanks for having me. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> I, I like your Storm Collectibles, Mortal Kombat figures. They look great. Um, nice setup. I like the Motaro the most. Yeah, he's he's new. He's he's new and he's great. Yeah, I've got I've got a whole whole bunch of stuff. I've got a nice uh, Mezco Ash from uh, Evil Dead. <laughs> Nice. They probably appreciate. Very much so. Well, there he is. Ooh, that's nice. Hell yeah. Ooh. Hell yeah. Hail to the king, baby. Also, let's Love be it. honest, Ryan. Myself. I won Mortal Kombat this week because I saw Brighter Frankenstein on a big screen on Sunday. That is true. Yeah. I won. <laughs> you are still trying to win. Yes. And it was packed, by the way, considering the occupancy. It was, it was packed. It was nice. Well, thanks, everybody. Get some sleep, Henry. Great seeing you and seeing a movie with you. I'm glad you're in town. Mm -hmm. If I don't see you before, then be safe. Travels back. Thanks, sir. And I see the rest of you all the time, so you can go fuck yourselves. (laughs) I can't even elaborate on the joke. Yeah. Anyway. Thanks, Corinne. Bye, guys. Bye, Bye, Corinne. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day. Flawless victory.